again for the marvelous demystifiers to do their thing the grand finale of our enormous moon knight decode series (laughs) it's practically it's basically its own series at this point uh since there are six episodes of it this is the final we've actually done more than half of our entire marvelous demystifiers just on this one thing so uh as exciting as it is to be here at the finish line for this one i'm also really excited for what will come next to move on to some different subject matter. Uh, There's a lot of thematic stuff going on in this one that I found interesting on the rewatch. But I will say, I think episode five was where it peaked for me in terms of being interesting. So, yeah, guys, before I kind of talk about the main themes that I'm seeing here, how's everyone doing? Gordy, I haven't seen you for a while. What's up, brother? I'm doing all right, brother. Um... Hanging in there, you know, keeping busy. 
doing lots of, I don't know, little things. It's, it seems like you're doing a lot of things and like you're doing nothing. And then you realize, oh, maybe I did some things. Like you accidentally found out you did some things like along the way. You're, that's, you know, take the wins, right? <laughs> the little things make up the big things. Right. Gabriel, how's it going, bro? Real good, man. Real good. Been uh, grinding out some last-minute graphics for this little production tonight. Uh, getting all my thoughts in order. I'm pretty stoked to lay it down. Yeah, to be honest, I'm more excited about what you're going to have to put out there than <laughs> my notes this time. <clears throat> Honestly. Dang, I was going to have my book, my Howdy McCoskey book on hand because there's a part I wanted to reference in there. I might go grab that. Uh, you guys sit tight. Be right back. I'm going to grab a book. Absolutely. So uh, check this out, man. I saw a bobcat in the owl tree today. In, oh, is that from the so, owl tree? <laughs> that's in the owl tree. So where the, uh, all the babies were raised and everything, the babies had still be, have still been coming back since uh, last week or so. Um, but today, no owls, but there was a bobcat kit in their tree just staring at me like like he stumbled into a party he wasn't invited to or something you know but it was uh he's a cute cute bugger it's on my instagram on gordy underscore t-w-o underscore shoes was so, it uh i might have seen it on you're talking uh, about owls again as soon as i leave it? first thing that happens hey man i got him like this it's you know <laughs> Every day, all day. I might have seen a picture on like false reality checks Telegram. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I put it in there. Yep, I did. I saw that. Uh-huh. I didn't know that was your tree though. That's cool. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's a cute What's picture. interesting too is that I had seen a bobcat uh, sign around that area for quite a while, and. Um, I had found a a bobcat skull. Um, it was an adolescent skull, but it was in the path of where the owls hunt. So I had kind of like you know put two and two together that they had tangled with some of those bobcats before, and this one getting actually into the tree is like muscling in on territory. So I'm a little nervous about where the adults are today, but. But they're tough, man. Don't kick him out. They'll probably eat him. They'll probably eat the cat. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a, it's kind of on point thematically. There's definitely some raptors, birds of prey involved in this episode in particular, but in massive symbolic importance for ancient Egyptian things and stuff. Yeah. Can I point out that... Uh, like already, this is this is how bad or weird the Marvel universe has gotten. That Layla and I can't remember her her name as a comic character, but she's a more interesting Falcon than Falcon <laughs> in the Avengers. I'm just saying. Yeah, they kind of just made Falcon the token black guy who's patriotic. He doesn't have a lot of personality in the MCU, at least in the cinematic. 
Right. I watched Falcon and Winter Soldier, and it was like a conspiracy theorists are bad, propaganda, violence, war, good, yes, type of thing. It was horrible. It was like we will not be decoding that one. It is too. No. There's nothing interesting in it. (laughs) Yeah, that one was crazy. Uh, It was just kind of force fed over the top. The the only good thing I would point out is at the very end, like one of the last scenes. There's like a a bunch of of the rebels are being rounded up and put into a, a SWAT van, and they're about to be drove drove away and taken incarcerated. And some dude up on a hilltop, remote control explodes the van, and he's sitting in it up from afar, and he presses the button to blow up the van, and he's wearing the Masonic white glove. That's the only Easter egg you need for the whole series. That's all you get. That's all that was good. The Mickey Mouse glove. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, the most speaking of new Marvel stuff, they got uh, She-Hulk attorney at law. There may be some good legal system decodes in that. I don't know if I should can watch it, but I'll I'll think about it. You guys, if you check it out, let me know. I was thinking about the same thing. I was like, do I want to put myself through it if they're you know. If they're not going to do it, and I'm like, I don't know. It might be like pulling teeth and like, but finding like weird gold, like we've done. We've we've already done that a couple of times watching, you know, some garbage. I mean, that's how that's how Gabe and I met. We uh, hooked up and was uh, making fun of you know pulling apart uh, Metropolis, and he just showed up this. This night and like, I'm like this dude is a badass. Anyway, and I appreciate you too, man. Uh, Chance, you doing these and getting us together to to make sure we socialize and stuff. You know, this is important. Yeah, this is for fun. Shit out. You know, this is for fun. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this us comic book nerds always are lacking the deep conversations about this stuff that we're into <laughs> in, in real life. So let's get into it, guys. The uh, previous five episodes, a lot happened. Go back and watch the previous episodes if you need to know. We won't recap it this time, other than to say the episode begins um, at the point where Mark has hit the field of reeds. He has balanced the scales of his heart against the feather of Maya somehow. And so he is able to be resurrected, but there's a few things that have to happen first in this one. And in terms of like the themes that may be lurking below the surface that I saw coming up again and again in this episode, the only one that's coming to mind that I found interesting, and let me know if you guys noticed this too, but that hands, the hands were very important in this episode. It was like the, it was like the majority of all the mirror and reflection symbolism of the previous five episodes got replaced with like a big extreme emphasis on hands. And I'll talk about why I think that is as it comes up throughout the analysis here. You guys have any major themes you want to point us to before we get started? How was thinking about? Uh, muted there, Gordy. Damn, dude. Okay. I, uh, I kept seeing the uh, whole Masonic thing, too. There's a lot of Masonic 
imagery and the whole symbol symbology of uh, the death ceremony. And it, this explains why they do it and where that stuff comes from. Really, I mean, this is why they do it to integrate. You want to elaborate on that? So <clears throat> he says in the uh, right at the beginning. Oh my God, I can't read my own writing. I wrote this in the dark the last time I watched Moon Knight and I'm like, Jesus, I can't even read my own handwriting. Sometimes we need the cold light of death before we see reality. And like, that was, that was always, that was always a thing in uh, like the whole Masonic initiation thing is the death and resurrection symbolic death and resurrection thing right or like literal getting blasted out of your body on some kind of hardcore psychedelics and having the experience of death before your body dies die before you die they say right yeah exactly this is the same thing we're talking about the same thing and they're talking about the same thing this is the, the thing is all this Masonic shit that they've been shoving down people's throat for centuries. It's all the same thing. Well, well, we'll say, we'll say shoving down their throats <laughs> in some ways, like with the whole external Messiah idea. But on the other hand, we do have a realm that is predicated on this cyclical death and rebirth thing. That's nature and its reality. So. The other theme now that I'm thinking about themes was, although she's never named, Isis is extremely present in this episode, massively so. And we'll look for that as we go too. What about you, Gabriel? I see uh, a, uh, a lot of symbolism around like the turning of the age or, you know, the handing off of power mantles. Uh, you know, who was in charge. Now there's a new boss in town and then there's a boss battle at the end. And just when you think that everything is resolved, turns out that the, there's a, you know, a little hook to set you up for uh, the next season for the next uh, plot twist. So yeah, a lot of turning of the age and passing of the mantle. Uh, oh, and uh I see an interesting tie-in, and we'll get into it deeper, <clears throat> but I see a connection with uh, being laid out with the medical-industrial-mafioso complex, and what it is probably foretelling in regards to pre-crime. And that is a theme that we got into early in the series, you know, talking about Ahmet uh, judging people before they even commit the sin. And it uh, culminates in a major way at the climax here when the boss battle goes down. So that's a big theme. I've got some graphics I'll drop on that. And it's it's a lot to just lay out. And I just maybe set a path for other people to dig in and do some more research, take it to the next level. But uh, uh, there are some very fascinating ingredients. Knowing what we know, about the law in the direction things are apparently going to go. There's some, some interesting foretelling of real uh, political intrigue being laid out here. 
Guys, I think I sound better now. Sound quality better. is better. Much better. Uh, yeah. gotta, if I was in the same room as you guys, I would smack you on the ear and be like, why didn't you tell me my sound was weird? <laughs> I, was thinking, I thought you sounded a little tin candy. Yeah, I'm supposed to sound all like smooth and professional Great. or whatever. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny told me. So somebody's looking out for me. Can't count on y'all for nothing. <laughs> you too. No, I can count on you for a lot. Like an awesome conversation we're about to get into. So let's begin. I'm going to pull up the first screenshot. What? Your browser has blocked your screen. I'm having issues with, uh, here we go. Having issues with my previous setup of Google Chrome, not letting me do camera and microphone. So we're doing it through Firefox and it got a little weird, but that was all a bunch of inside information you didn't need to know. I got it figured out. So, <laughs> as usual, the very first. Bring us on the journey, man. Take us <laughs> home. Keep us going. <laughs> the very first shot is always quite important. And this is probably one of at least four or five that I counted in this episode alone, where Mark is in the crucifixion pose. So there's that. He is dead and his body is still dead floating in the water. And yeah, there, there's a song playing the beginning of this episode called The End by Earl Grant, which I thought was interesting because it had rainbows, roads and rivers, all of which kind of pertain to a similar idea of like the road. <laughs> what, what did what song did you say? It's called The End by Earl Grant. And it goes, let's see, it is from. It's not Nat King Cole? No. At least that's what it says when I looked it up on the internet. It's from 1958, though. It's still old like that. Yeah. I've got It goes, at the end of the rainbow, you'll find a pot of gold. At the end of a story. Pot of gold. That one, right? Yeah. At the end of a story, story, you'll find it's all been told. I don't know if that's really the melody, but I thought it was interesting just because me and Gabriel were talking to Emily and Topher last night about rivers and roads <laughs> as being like, you know, the similarity between rivers and roads. But that song is, yeah, playing at the beginning here. Maybe not a lot we need to say about it other than they're comparing water to a highway and to time. And our conversation last night had to do with like, is the flow of electricity related to the flow of time is the flow of rivers related to the flow of electricity. All of that. That was a big weave we got into last night. Oh man. <laughs> See, there's too much. You guys are doing too much good stuff. I can't keep up. Yeah, you better go back and watch that vibrant. I know. I'm okay, so okay. they retrieve Harrow and his hench lady retrieve the Ushabti of Amit from Mark's body. And again, it's shown being held in this strange cradling way. Kind of reminding me, I know this is probably a bit stretchy, but we see them holding it this way with like their bottom hand flat and they're holding it by the back of the head. And that reminds me of how you'd hold like a small animal or a baby. 
And let's just talk about the Ushabti a little more. The Ushabti as a thing in ancient Egypt, we touched on this in a previous episode where, where they were looking for the statue. So they were, the word Ushabti means answerer. Answerer. So just that alone tells me we have a metaphor for a straw man, but it's like a clay man instead of a straw man. Gabe, you with me on this? I'm so with you, man. There's so much depth to just that fact. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so we're looking for a straw man, and they need to destroy the Ushabti man, straw man, to free Amit. Well, isn't it the straw man, legally speaking, that keeps people in the servitude or slavery or bondage, keeps them bound? A bondsman. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. And then like, you know, the whole straw man being related to birth and placenta and all that, they're holding it like a baby. And I'm thinking, so it means answer in Egyptian, Ushabti does. And they yes. built these because the priests had a scam going, I think a scam, <laughs> where they said like, if you have enough of these little, little statues, when you go to the other side, they will do whatever... Uh, you ask them to. They'll be your la- manual laborers. So again, they the straw man will be like your laborer, your slave. It'll go out into the world and do things for you. Well, the straw man does kind of function that way for those who are above it, legally speaking. They use their straw man when they need to, but they're not sort of they don't they don't have to do the things the the slave work themselves. Like it's a liability shield. There's all that and. Before, I can't remember the name of it, but before they actually had statues that represented all kinds of different manual laborers and the rich people that got mummified would have like hundreds of these statues. They'd have some to do the the milling and the tilling and the watering and the harvesting and whatever the job was. And then that wasn't really going over so well for the priest class. So they switched it up to, uh, oh, this is just a... One does anything you want type slave (laughs) instead of a specialized slave statue. So you don't need as many of them. So yeah, just buy a lot of these for your, uh, your burial. So yeah, that's my thoughts on the shop Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Same page for sure. You know, uh, it's interesting. I recently was listening to uh, one of the most recent videos on uh, UBTV. Uh, two words, all caps, UV, TV. And he was going over some biblical stuff. Nice, nice. Good to see you, brother. Yeah. Uh, he was going over the biblical history of Abraham as a youth and how he was in the temple. And I'm, I'm, I'm rusty on this story, but I'll just cover the basics. He uh, was fed up with the uh, community and the culture that he was living in because they were giving all this. Uh, uh, allegiance to these idols, to these statues. And so when all the people were away, he smashed all the statues except for the biggest one. And then he took the stick that he used and he put it in the hands of the largest one, who they, I think it's Moloch, was the one he left intact and put the stick in the hands of Moloch. And then he jets out so that when the people come back, they're like, who the hell smashed all these statues? And then they talked amongst themselves. They're like, you know, that Abraham kid, he was talking smack about the statues. Let's ask him about it. So they bring him in. They're like, what happened? And Abraham's like, hey, why don't you guys ask the statue? 
Didn't you didn't you convince the whole community that these statues are answerers? They have the answer to all our problems. Just ask this last statue. Ask him. He's got the stick in his hand. It's clearly his thing. And then the priests are like, they can't answer our questions. And he's like, aha, aha. And uh, so that came to mind for sure, because, uh, you know, still to this day, your an uh, answer is interesting because the Shopti is called answerer. Right. And, you know, when you're in court, they called for the straw man. And if you answer, then they assume you are the straw man or whatever. Yep, exactly. It is. It's. And so that uh, that story is actually kind of a format that you can uh, take on in your legal case conceivably, and I hear that people have tried this before, where they're like, well, what, do you want this piece of paper to talk for me? You've got questions for this piece of paper? Well, it's not going to say anything. And you can flip it the other way around, and you can say, oh, the prosecutor is the state? Well, let me hear the state answer my questions. I got some questions for the state. Who is the state here? And they're like, oh, there is no state. And you'd be like, aha, aha. You know, these graven images, these dead corporations, they don't speak for themselves, so that's that's a bit of a a reveal on what I think they're getting at. All right, so let me get the next screenshot up here. And you sent me something that is pretty much the same, so I'm just going to pull yours up because you added to it. Because right. I wanted to point out that behind Harrow, you see the Ibis of Thoth really clearly. Yes, yes, sir. So... Uh, in typical mystifying, demystifier fashion, <laughs> I always put a lot of attention on the opening lines, the first things that they say. You know, uh, I, I know that the value of initiation is very high uh, with, these, with these fools, yeah? And that is so intentional. Look how it's backlit, you know? It's so intentionally backlit. They're clearly indicating that, you know, Tahuti, uh, Thoth, the Ibis, who is always depicted with a stylist. He's always writing, keeping track, keeping the written record of thoughts. So that was the first thing I pulled out of these words. So the first words are, sorry, I had it had to be this way. Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, whoever else might be in there. And so I did, uh, I took a, a good amount of time and did some anagram work on this. And it actually kind of jumped right out. It was not, it did not, it wasn't, it was not very difficult. One thing about anagrams, the longer they are, the more letters you have to choose from, the more variations you're going to get uh, potentially. So it becomes more and more objective with the more and more letters you add. And, uh, but I pulled out immediately the Ibis Tahuti. I extracted those letters right away because we have the Ibis Tahuti in the background. And that kind of whittled down my options uh, bit by bit. And so uh, the remaining letters can be construed to read uh, Ibis Tahuti, who made my rhythm, who, excuse me, <clears throat> who weighed my rhythm store. Uh, initials MSSG, I reverse the blessing. And MSSG uh, is uh, in septenary is uh, 1667, which is the year after the birth certification was initiated after the uh, 
the London fires, the, uh, the city of London caught fire. And that's when they started uh, basically claiming everybody was lost at sea. And so there is a lot of correspondence to the fact that he's in the water. This is a birth ritual. Uh, that is the, uh, right around the year of the birth certifications beginning. And the very closing scene is going to include the city of London yet again. And it's rebuild its buildings. The structures of the skyline of the city of London are going to be the very last thing you see when they, uh, when they cut out at the end of this episode. So it comes full circle right there. Dude, this is why you're on the team. This <laughs> no, right here. I was saying the same thing in my head. I'm like, this is what I'm here for. This is what I'm here for. Do it, man. Yeah, bro. So, yeah. So, the, so um, what it was like, I had a hunch and you're just like, let me substantiate your idea here to the max. <laughs> totally. The 1667. How did we miss that before now? MSSG. That is amazing. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. I'm loving it. And, you know, it's almost the, I reverse my, I reverse the blessing. I feel like that is uh, laying the theme for what's coming here. I feel like they're revealing the birth certification and the power construct that has been in place for since then. And that by the end of the movie, there's almost like they're telling us that there's a new program. Something new is in town. And so you might want to extract your consent. You might want to pull your blessing out. You might want to seal your trust away and secure it in a new fashion because there's a, there's a whole new day ahead of us. And it's got to do with Knights Templar yet again. It's got to do with hospitals and pre-crime. And we'll get into that. Dude, right? The Templar stuff. Oh my God. It's everywhere. Like there's all over. This is the, the thing that for you guys, has it changed everything you watch? Like how we, how like we're consuming this stuff now, but like, I, I mean, clearly it has for us, but I, I wonder who, you know, the people that are seeing this or seeing this in the future are like, man, I, maybe I should watch everything like this because, you know, it's all, they're all telling us things from the ether or whatever um, through these, these myths or whatever they're telling us, whether they know they're telling us a spiritual lesson or not. If we choose to look at them this way and look even deeper, which is why we do this stuff, so we can just like talk out the weird shit, you know, like this is learning from each other. This is badass. Yeah, but so I'm having yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, I honestly I, have a hard time believing it is intentionally encoding as much as we see in it, but that through <laughs> through the human imagination truth that comes through like mm -hmm. you know we're psychoanalyzing our own dream here something like out. that it's now, out there b hoff had an awesome comment he said at the end of the rainbow song is a pot of gold a nod to leprechauns who are shoemakers Ooh, nice nice Con shoes shoe. have been a big deal in the previous episodes of the god shoe mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah you know uh and one thing i'd like to tie in you know the all of the knights, you know, all knights require these initiatory practices and they are, you know, they hold the true history of events and crusades and uh, even chronology, I believe. 
and it slips through, you know, they, they're flashing, they're showing their hand to one another. Um, but one thing, you know, the Knights Templar are not exactly the Maltese Knights, but they're, they're close enough. You know, it's all this, the order of St. John, they're drinking out of skulls, you know, their initiations are so similar, but MK, this is the point I wanted to make. MK is moon Knight. MK ultra. That's the Maltese Knights. It's also Malkuth is your feet and Keter is the head mm. on the tree of life. So the MK is full spectrum dominance and that's an ancient system. This stuff is not high tech futuristic. It's been around hundreds of years, at least. That's why this thing feels so uh, Freemasony. Like there's, they literally feel like I, what Moon Knight kind of says to me, this version is it's told from some sort of Western ideology. Uh, like this is more of like a, the Freemasons, Freemasons rewriting history kind of their or rewriting their own kind of myth. And like, but the, the thing is, is writers do this, they'll, like they'll take one thing and, and add another and, and do, you know, add stuff and take away from that change the stories, but they're also telling us truths, whether they want to, whether they think they are or not. That's the magic of this kind of stuff. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, man. It's it's good to have the context. So then Mm -hmm. you get the joke. Right. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Once again, crystallizing my thoughts perfectly. <laughs> so another thing to point out is that Harrow, after he says his whole, sometimes we need the cold light of death before we can see reality, puts the scarab on Mark's chest. Well, the cold light of death is the sun in winter. And <laughs> like it's light, but it's cold, right? In the Egyptian duat cycle which is their travel through the space between here and the afterlife some people call it the underworld it's kind of different than that concept he okay so the initiate or the person who's traveling through the duat and a lot of the texts like the book of gates it is they're depicted as like the ones that are successful in the transition through the duat transforming into a scarab and on this scarab is some writing about Kepri, which we uncovered, I think, in the second episode. Kepri is a form of Ra who is involved in resurrection, actually. Resurrection and metamorphosis. Kepri is sometimes depicted with like a scarab or beetle head. So <laughs> it's interesting that Harrow puts the scarab of Kepri on Mark because a scarab amulet or trinket would be thought of as like a potentially as a magical implement for some kind of resurrection energy. So it's like he's foreshadowing the resurrect. It's almost like he is initiating the resurrection or approving of the resurrection that is to come by putting the beetle on his chest. And he's going through a duat journey. Like I said, scarab represents that. Very interesting. I think when we see the boss battle later, we'll get a real understanding of the scarab uh, and 
the <laughs> sort of like that dichotomy in the sky clock between cancer and Capricorn. That's really the boss battle that's going on. The gate of the gods and the gate of man. Nice. So you know, move forward here. We have a lot to do. <laughs> and he says, who wants to heal the world? And he holds up the Amit statue. Who wants to hell the world? More like he's trying to hell, bring hell on earth. Basically. <laughs> Removal of choice from everybody. And uh, yeah. Hell, I just want to hear heal. It makes me think of Helios a lot. I know I talk about this on a lot. I won't go on. Uh, now all of his followers are kneeling before him while he holds up their idol. And interesting thing happens here is uh, the cane that he's been carrying around becomes like an axe. I wonder if there's more we can say about this. Because mm, axes are for hewing. <laughs> and yeah, I'll hold off. You guys have thoughts. Maybe I'll collect what, what I'm thinking about this here in my mind. Yeah. Well, he's, again, we're standing at the foot of Al Alexander. And this, they've, they've actually. Uh, so you're, you're muted, Gabriel. Oh, no, I hear. Or I'm not hearing you. Uh oh. Am I? Should I speak up? Can you hear him, Gordy? I can hear him. I can hear him. My sound just cut out. Uh I can hear hear anybody. Check one, two. Check one, two. Hello. 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 They've been been updating my stuff a lot lately, trying to throw Mm. curveballs and... I'm in re-education camp with my own phone right now. Oh my god, isn't it torture to learn a new fucking system? Oh, yeah, yeah. slowing me Dude. down. All kinds of curveballs. Getting old, man. Uh huh. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. did not want to learn one more fucking technology oh thing. Yeah, one of these days I'm gonna get that burner phone I always said I would get. Right. I'll never turn back. <laughs> All right, yeah. it's a fantasy. Liberation. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Oh, um, let's see. One of the the themes that I uh, noticed. Oh shoot, what was it? Um, in that kind of, I mean, the death and rebirth uh, ritual. Did you? He was shot twice in the chest, right? Yep. Center mass. Is that a symbolic killing? I can't, I can't, you know, what I think about is like, you know, the, the Jabberwocky and the fact that it, you know, it requires boosters. And even like, you know, we know one of the rules of zombie land was always do the double tap. Don't, can't forget the double tap. I forget what rule that was. Mm-hmm. Um, all the sound coming from my browser just disappeared. I had to like close it completely and reopen it. And you sound weird again, but we can hear you. Okay. Thank you. Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even Mercury. There you go. There you go. Good. 
Thanks for telling me this time. So, damn it, I missed what we were saying here. I believed you. So we were talking about. Any given about- minute, you, I will have just recently eaten spinach. <laughs> Fantastic, dude. Eat you some spinach, lots of butter, just to do uh, onions garlic and spinach and shit tons of butter. It's really good for you, man. Way good for the blood. Yeah. So, so we were at the, uh, the tomb of Alexander and we're talking about how his, his device turns into an ax. Oh yeah. Uh, which kind of echoes earlier in uh, previous episodes where Mark picks up the ax, starts, uh, hacking away. Uh, and Alexander, you know, hacked away the, uh, the Gordian's Knot, which we think is uh, an echo to Perseus's ancestor who cut off the head of the Gorgon. So uh, that was a weave we did on previous shows. So it is kind of appropriate that the axe comes into play. Yeah, I think that it is also similar to the Was Scepter, it was called. You'll see, let me pull this up. You'll so see that, these on. It, go ahead. It's a Was. <laughs> yeah, it's a was. <laughs> a was in a tomb. That's it. I've been looking for that. I've been waiting for a was to pop in here. There you go. Yeah. So if you look here, it's not exactly the same, but the way it shifted to have this side, you know, because before it was just a cane, you know, with handles on both sides, like a normal cane. So I, I know it's not exactly the same, but because it has like a crocodile on its head, the Was scepter represented Set or Anubis associated with Set or Anubis Mm. and the control. Basically, it was like a symbol of control over the forces of chaos. And to me, yeah, it seems really obvious that's what they're going for here. Sometimes it would be representative of Knum too, or Knum, who was the Nef or Nufus or Ptah, the, uh, one that shapes the chaos into form, you could say. Okay. The like demiurge Vulcan type energy. I like it. Uh, can you bring up that graphic I shot you while we're on the, the scene in the tomb there? This is a, this is just a, a peek at what I was seeing because he's got, you know, his acolytes are kneeling in front of him as he holds up a staff that has a serpentine image on the staff and he says who wants to heal the world <laughs> but it ends, it ends with the question mark it ends with a question mark oh man so does the who want to heal the world and so you look at the icon of the world health organization the who you got a serpent on a staff just like he's holding up his little graven image of his little alligator goddess and then i just through this i believe this is um uh oh i i forget the name of the artist who does this painting um oh it's going to come to me in like two minutes but i just threw this picture it's one of many images of moses healing the israelites when they get stung by the uh the flaming serpents 
uh, and this was kind of this came up in our weave on the uh, IPEC goat as well. We talked about this particular aspect of the biblical mythos, uh, using the snake on the staff, the brazen serpent to heal the Israelites, and then they obsess over it and start to worship it too much, uh, much like modern day people are using uh, the medical industrial complex to their own demise. That's a good weave, dude. Real good weave. The other thing I thought about too is this color that comes out of his staff. We talked about it before, but after last night on Vibrant, Emily brought up radiesthesia and the negative green spectrum in radionics or whatever. There's the negative of green is kind of magenta, actually. It's so what is. And so it's like the negative of like the lime green that they show a lot, that sort of neon artificial green that they usually represent sort of sickness with. Mm. Mm. So this is like the inversion of that, but on the same spectrum kind of. And it's kind of like a, the idea is it's like the deadly orgone. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. We're on board. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the color that comes out of the staff is a lot like deadly orgone mm, big time. Right, which is also, we talked about this in previous ones, but uh, the T-Mobile sign. The right. symbol for T-Mobile is looks like a scales weighing, a balance weighing scales. And the light, the color of T-Mobile's, you know, 5G advertising is this magenta uh, fuchsia, the fasces of the fuchsia. You know, the fasces is an axe as well. Wrapped up, wrapped up in relegare with a bunch of reeds. So there's a there's a lot to that. I dig it. And I have a little bit more to put into the weave about this staff and Harrow, but we'll save it for the next time he whips it out because <laughs> there's some other things in the following scene that will add to it. Now Layla is watching from the background, and she does the classic retarded Hollywood movie thing. <laughs> where she like knocks out a bad guy five feet away from all the other bad guys and somehow completely silently incapacitates somebody who's a professional paid killer, by the way, it makes zero sense, but well, I will, laugh at that. Uh, I'm always on the placenta tip. Uh, it is a hooded figure who is sacrificed by uh, the female here. And, <laughs> and, and Harrow, he like notices it. And he just turns his back, turns on heel, and walks away. So I'm thinking placenta. You don't even see the character's face. It's a shady character. And it gets, uh, you know, the body. Oh, and she, take, she steals his hood. She takes the hood and dons the hood. So I'm thinking we got a little bit of placenta ingredient going on. Because <laughs> she, from that point on, she, stole, she like, stole his personhood, stolen identity. Right, right. All right. Yeah, man, I think there is a lot here. And then she goes on to be kind of invisible. You know, she's got like a a shroud and she's fitting in with the with his minions. Yeah, yeah. I have some screenshots of that as it comes up later. And I'm all I had to say about it was to make fun of how stupid it was logically (laughs) (laughs) movie logic. But it is weird because Harris seems to have this sort of psychic aura about him. He's always pulling information out of other people's head, even not necessarily touching them to do it. So that combined with the fact that he's putting the scarab on Mark's chest, it's really bizarre. It's like he is planting 
the seeds of his own downfall, Good which point. very much is in line with the whole Capricorn and Cancer dichotomy of the solar cycle. Excellent, excellent. Well played, man. Yeah. Uh, I, one other thing, you know, he pulls the Shakti and puts the scarab, and that is adhering to the law of equal uh, exchange, which is uh, uh, actually an alchemical concept that survived uh, from alchemy and is now considered a scientific principle, but it uh, it's, goes way back. Oh, nice catch here. Look at yeah, that. I think this is the first time I noticed it, but he theoretically would have been wearing it for a long time. Wow, man. Wow, wow, wow. And he's about to have a resurrection. You know, there's about to be a Jesus thing. Jesus was a Jew. It, it was, I think it was more prominent in the uh, comic. They, they made, for some reason I remember in that, this series, they did make mention of him a little more. Well, I guess they do in this series too, but that putting it on like a uniform kind of, because this is, it's clearly, he's not in Moon Knight, the suit, but it's still him. Right. And with that as the symbol in this form. Right. Yeah. Super Jew. It moves, it moves from the star to the uh, from the star to the moon. Oh, good point. Good point. Well, the other thing about this symbol is, yeah, it's associated with Israel and the religion called Judaism, which is not a not a race, by the way. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. That is not a race, although it's treated like one. Uh. Jew is also named for the sun god, the solar deity. I mean, the, he's wearing this indicating that he's a Jew, but a Jew is also you or Yah. You know, it's the solar deity too. It's in, that's where the word Jew comes from. And it's also true that Masons are quote unquote Jews. Right. And, 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 and he, most he's of like, are- uh, yeah, he's a solar deity. He's, he's a, he's a Mason for sure. Right. And, you know, if uh, circumcision is any measure of your Jewishness, then I guess we all are. Woohoo! <laughs> Glad I wore my hat. <laughs> <laughs> then she puts him in the water for a final baptism. But I feel like also this is just kind of symbolic of resurrection motif. Oh, totally. Because water is the the healing element of the four elements. Gives him a burial at sea, which for many cultures, that is how the sun would uh, die, actually. It would die in the sea. It would go down in the sea, or it would be born out of the sea. Yeah. When you look at that shot, when you look at that shot, you can see it it looks like a pyramid. Like he's, when you look at it, kind of. Yeah. It's very, very artfully constructed. So like when something like that happens, like something that's like artfully intended, I'm always wanting to like question why, you know, there you go, dude. See, nice. Boom. I know yeah, man. we have Crazy. the best people in here. 
That's right, man. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Going right on, on, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's always worth pointing out that that whole thing they call the Star of David is way older and bigger than one culture owning it as some kind of racial or religious or national symbol. Big time. That's a good one. Well, for the people just listening, he says that shape actually has nothing to do with Jews. It's the only incommensurable geometry of the 108 36 36 triangle. Phi with a cross cut of one over phi, the geometry of water and binder of DNA. Interesting. I feel like yeah. I need a little more. He's seeing a different triangle than I am, but they're both there. Yeah. I think he's talking about the Star of David triangles. Right. He's seeing, yep. Yeah, and I'm seeing the Pythagorean theorem because it's a, just a little mm. off center the way it's cut, but it's all there. Triangles, you know, these math worshipers. <laughs> So the next thing that happens is we have Harrow and his caravan, his Harrow van <laughs> show up to they're driving to go to the Great Pyramid to um because they need to break the Amit statue there to free her, apparently. And they run into the federal agents of the Egyptian government. I just found it interesting how I mean, do you see the eagle here? The raptor? I sure do. Yeah, this sent me down a because they flash it quite a few times. This sent me down a wild rabbit hole. Yeah, I think it's just interesting how governments have the same symbolism in different parts of the world. You just shot me some stuff, Gabriel. Do you want me to pull it up? Uh, well, yeah, I'm I, I'm going to riff on that eagle real quick though, because they, I mean, they really put it in your face a lot. And so these characters, they all get taken out essentially except for the one guy but they really are pushing that eagle in our face and so i looked into like the egyptian eagle the egyptian flag and the eagle that's on there and it turns out that the egyptian flag has gone through a lot of changes it has uh shifted back and forth many times it was a it was a couple weeks ago that i did this research so it's a little foggy but at one point uh, not too long ago, the eagle was replaced by a hawk, by a different bird of prey. And when it did, there was a sultan who was in power, who came to rose to power and put the hawk in its place um, and kind of tweaked the colors. He actually changed the red to a deeper shade of red. Um, and the hawk took the place of the eagle and then, uh, and then there uh, some more battles ensue, more power struggles, uh, and treaties get signed. And that sultan was taken out of power by uh, Britain, and the English interest groups they insisted two things. Uh, they had him sign a treaty, and there were two uh, stipulations of the treaty that were very important. One was that he goes back to the eagle and puts down the hawk, and that he changes his title from sultan to king, which is really something. There's more going on with all that than than I'm dialed in on. I believe that we might be seeing that a sultan is higher than a king, so he might have had to take a demotion. That's something to really think about. I don't know. It's what I, that's what I read. But what's interesting to, this, to the film is that it's Ethan Hawke, who takes out all these fools wearing the eagle. 
And so we have iconoclasm going on. Ethan Hawke kills all these eagles in one foul swoop. So this is kind of playing into what I was saying about the changing of the guard and, you know, people in the know that read heraldry, you know, they're uh, signaling to one another in a very interesting fashion. here. So I just thought I'd throw that in the mix. Did you notice that Ethan Hawke rolls up in a Ford Raptor? Ooh, Shiza. (laughs) Just to like, you know, (laughs) hammer the point home. That's a one strike, two strike, three strikes. You know what I mean? Good call, bro. Good call. Yeah. What you just uh, said is mind blowing about the Sultan to King possible demotion. Uh, You could really be onto something there. Sultan is an interesting word because if you do that LR switch on it, you get Sir. Tan, sir, represents the rock, the lord, the god, you know, but also is the word, the first half of serpent. And tan is a word pertaining to serpents as well. A solar word and a serpent related word. So, sir, tan, (laughs) I'm certain that there's something up with the switch between sultan and king. That's a good one, dude. Thank you for that rabbit hole. Mind blowing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Do you got any more on this scene? There's a little necromancy going on after the, the one guy. uh, So what happens is they all start dropping and um, Layla is back there in one of the trucks. And one of the guys who had just died because, uh, What's his mess? Judged him. Oh yeah, hold on. Let's we'll get. Let's uh, save that for just a second. Let's inch our way there a little slower. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they stop him here, and they say to him, "Show us your papers." And he goes, "I don't need to show you my papers. You need to show us your soul." So we're talking about a jurisdiction above paperwork again. That is a straw man versus living man thing. Living man is above paperwork. The straw man lives on paper. You know, these guys, a lot of them are masked, right? They're wearing their uniforms. So they're walking, talking, dancing straw men for the state. (laughs) It's definitely a jurisdiction thing, which is interesting back into the context of what you're talking about. And you can see here that it's a raptor, by the way. Nice. Yep. You know what? Just on the fly here, I looked up, they're, they're called the Egyptian Patrol Agency, right? The EPA. That's the <laughs> Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. these guys. Wow. <laughs> and they just got their uh, legs cut out from under them recently. So there's, uh, there's some nod and a wink for you. Yeah, when the necromancy soul pulling out happens, it kind of looks like a body, an astral body coming out. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the part where I wanted to hone in on with Harrow doing his staff magic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this Tell me if this is a bit of a stretch or not. I don't know. But all right. See this guy's pose. He's releasing his soul. He's having a release. And they call the orgasm and for the little death, petite mort. Harrow is causing this with a phallic 
staff that is a staff rep- related to that was or was staff, which is a symbol of set, set representing the animal nature or the lower nature that in the mystery schools, you're thought that you needed to like overcome the setian nature, the animal nature, including holding back your sexual fluids. Like in the book of Gates, I went on a big, my big rabbit hole today was the Egyptian book of Gates, which is one of the funeral texts that they would put on the walls in tombs. And yeah, <laughs> they had a specific like symbolism in the hieroglyphs of like literally locking up your semen behind a gate. That uh, The book of Gates is mostly about opening gates as you go through the 12 gates or the 12 hours of the night side of the cycle but there's one part where you're like closing a gate <laughs> so these guys are having a little death he's going ah his essence is leaving him <laughs> it's happening because of a you know something that's shooting out of a staff right to me there's something there and i didn't get a screenshot of it maybe maybe i did well, Layla, I didn't get a screenshot of it, but when Layla pops out of the back of the vehicle, she is holding a knife. And I'll have to back up and talk about what he says to this guy, too. But she's holding a knife. All right. And I'm just going to pull up this page from the uh, Howdy's book, The Power of Then, talking about the Book of Gates. So he's descri- describing right here. There's multiple places in here, but. In the uh, second, the second hour, if you will, of the 12 hours of the Book of Gates, there's a multiple, there's like an upper register and a lower register, register meaning like a uh, collection of hieroglyphs in like a rectangle. And he's talking about in here that there are a number of gods in the second hour having a penis as a knife, showing they are cutting off their sexual desires. <laughs> always with the why eunuchs. is it always, why is it always gotta be the eunuchs why is it always gotta be the eunuchs yeah behind them is a deity called overcomer of the power of the enemy the enemy being sexual energy not used properly there's also information of the battle that will occur here is a famous picture of Horus that has set coming out <laughs> of a side of Horus set is the netter of destruction he who killed Osiris the, this important carving shows that the parts we will be battling are actually parts of ourselves. And he says, also of note is that all the figures in the upper level hold their objects in their left or their feminine hand, further showing the focus. Okay, so <sighs> the lower register in this second hour of the Book of Gates has gods with corn in their hair and others with ears of wheat in their left hand. Three mummified figures sit on blocks in the classic Egyptian meditative posture, signifying the starting of the meditative process at this stage. Now, here's the interesting part. The first mummy has a knife for a phallus, again, and is called Eater of the Phallus. (laughs) Then the next two have an onk instead of a knife, showing that they have already controlled their sexual life force. Another two-headed god called Horus Set appears in the lower register, symbolizing the same ideas as in the upper. So anyway, he's doing this whole like animal nature, symbolic ejaculation. These guys are having their little death. They're dying from the loss of their essence. 
and she comes out with a knife and she's the feminine one. Like she's going to be the overcomer of the power of the enemy. Her plan is to go, you know, shank him. (laughs) There's actually, there's actually more, I think it was in the fifth division that had some more wild, like uh unicky stuff, but I'll leave it at that. The book of gates is fascinating. And I think that there's something there in what I'm describing here. Yeah. Big time. You know, what something's came to my mind looking at this is there's towers in the background, potentially 5g network towers. We got the 5g, uh, pink energy, the orgone, the death orgone. And look how they ran past the stop sign. They blaze past the stop sign. You give them an inch and they take a mile. You know, they disregarded that boundary. They came right in, uh, all of them came right up past the stop sign and then had this uh, sneak attack. And they're all officers, (laughs) which we talked about last night, about officers being the... uh, Eunuchs of the Pharaoh. That's a trip and a half. So I just, on the fly here, I looked up the another uh, acronym for EPA is the Ethiopian Pharmaceutical Association. And I pulled up their logo. And wouldn't you know, uh, Tedros, Tedros, I can't even pronounce his last name, uh, obfuscated last name. <laughs> intentionally hard to pronounce Tedros is the leader of the who he's the president of the world health organization. He's from Ethiopia and in Ethiopia, he committed many, many war crimes that nobody is talking about. They're unspeakable war crimes. So that's another acronym that EPA is uh significant signifying all of it. Health oriented, health related, you know, environmental protection agency, and this is the Ethiopian Pharmaceutical Association. Uh, and I shot you a image chance of their, of their symbol. It's a snake wrapped around a chalice, which is the symbol of uh, Vatica. The goddess Vatica is holding a, sn- a snake. Yep, a snake cup. Damn. Yeah, bro. There's so much. You know, Ethiopia was the name for India. They just had an A with the E, kind of like they spell like Aether, wow. Ethiopia. Yeah, refers to the black land, which is what Kemet, the original name for Egypt, meant. And Al Kem, <laughs> you know, is the black. Literally, Al Kem is the black god. Al El Kem, right. Ham, Ham, Ham is Abraham. Kem and Ham are basically the same word philologically. This exactly. is a black snake wrapped around <laughs> this chalice. What a find, EPA. You just found that on the fly, huh? Just on and look, the fly. look, look. By the way, we're talking about the black ham sun in winter. Well, this is like a solar disk, yellow disk. And but what? Why are there snowflakes on this thing? What oh, happens in winter? It's not, a, it's not an Indian wheel. That's an actual uh, snowflake. How That's an actual it? fucking snowflake on two sides here. And what yeah. do we know what the uh the other text is? I don't I, I have no No, clue. this was just a quick little That's amazing crazy. Look catch at this. right here. Yeah. That's really so look at the rim of the cup. It looks like the scythe of, of uh Saturn. It's got a scythe. 
And it also is the group, if you turn it sideways, it's the Greek symbol of phi, the lowercase phi, which by the way, Chance, I'm catching up to you. I've been studying my Greek alphabet. Yeah, man, <laughs> it's priceless. It's priceless. It's in art. It's, it's, I found it in art already. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a real key uh, thing to have your head around. So you turn it sideways, you get phi, which is P-H-I. P-H-I stands for personal health information. And Tedros added this is, Wow. This is where Tedros came from. That's not a cult at all. Right, right. Very profound. You know, these guys are, yeah, ties into the Ark of the Covenant and some, uh, that, that old animosity between the seeds with uh, uh, Western Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy is, uh, has its roots here in a real crazy way. It's amazing. It's amazing how deep these rabbit holes go real quick. Okay. I'm just going to ask it. Gabriel, where do you think the Ark of the Covenant is? Tell us now. If it's not in Ethiopia anymore. I think it's in Colorado Canyon, northwest quadrant of Colorado. I knew you'd, I knew you'd know. Let's get out there and find it. <laughs> you know where I think it is, Gordy? Where? In your... Up there. The Ark of oh, the Covenant. Nice. Mm. The Ark of the Firmament. Yeah, that's where I think it is personally. I think it's all astrotheology. I mean, maybe a bunch of times in history, people made a thing and they called it the Ark of the Covenant. But well, what it's no, the thing is, is I think all those things are both of those things are true. Yeah, both things could be true. Man, fun so stuff. This is the part where Harrow says to the one guy who survives the uh, harrowing, the threshing. He says to him, this is the face of a good man <laughs> about a man who's wearing a mask. He can't even see his face. All right. <laughs> now, the word Christians, one of the things that Christian comes from is in the Greek, kres, which would be like the he, which looks like an X, the rho, which is our R. And the uh, eta, so and then a sigma, so it looks like it's spelled C H R E S basically, and that word meant good. So the Christians were the good men. They are good fellows. Okay, <laughs> when the Vatican started calling themselves Christians, they're calling themselves good men. They're calling themselves good fellows. They're the mafia. <laughs> That's why the mafiosi call themselves Goodfellas. Because the same fucking families that did the whole startup of the church to have the protection racket for an entire empire that are running those things in the crime bosses with the crime bosses of, you know, the movie mafia. It's sort of like they're kind of like a cult mockery when they make a movie called Goodfellas. Right. So <laughs> anyway, he becomes he becomes a good fella himself, this guy, because he becomes complicit with Harrow. He joins his mafia, so to speak, by letting them pass and, you know, being the corrupt insider in the police force. Kind of. Does that make sense? Totally. Yep. Yeah. totally. And uh, if you can, can you bring up my little graphic I sent? It's got a it's basically the next 
one second later in the in the film, he's a uh, he says this is a good man, and then he takes away his uh, communication devices, his little radio, and says you don't need this anymore. And that could mean so many things, but like you said, Chance, you know they call themselves good, the good fellas. Uh, but a good in Black's Law means redeemable or for sale. So this this fucker right here is a sellout, <laughs> and he's wearing his mask. This is the face of a good man. He's hiding behind his mask. It's totally, you know, they've separated the wheat from the chaff, and the order followers are going to be. Uh, exalted in dude, a pretty scary way. Dude, I had a, I have to say this. I had a good experience with a doctor finally once just today that good. he did not, nobody in there gave me shit about, and this is a surgeon. They didn't care about having masks. They did not. He didn't ask me once if I was vaccinated. This is the first time a doctor has not brought that up in two years. Things are changing, I think. You know, people are people are wising up to some bullshit. That's good. That's real good. Am well, I finding here that you found the origin of Vaka in the Rig Veda? A new yes, this is a new read. This is coming at it with a new light. The Vaka scene coming at it from like a Hindu linguistic angle uh, uh, but you know what what yeah. what jenny just mentioned there now i'm looking at the epa in reverse is ape it's ape oh yeah and so here we, we might be looking at the harrowing the threshing floor separating the wheat from the chaff that's the rh that's scavenging for the rh factor in people's dna wow boom I love that. Thank yeah, because, so okay, so Jenny pointed out that in the show, they're called the Egyptian Patrol Agency, but in real life, they're the Egyptian National Police, EMP. Right. And so I have a, I mean, with I cannot go all the way into it, but I do believe that some of these initiation rituals are designed to uh, elicit a physiological response that some people will respond to the ritual by being stimulated a certain way, their eyes might dilate. And that means that they're RH negative. And then other people who their eyes uh, constrict, uh, they are RH positive. So they're order followers. They are more likely to respond to a fear stimulus. They're not the, they're not the apex predator. They're the ape. <laughs> they're the, the target, the apes from the lions. That's an old, old uh, initiation ritual. But anyway, just to power through this. Uh, Vosh, Vosh is a uh, Hindu goddess of the voice of manifesting through your word. And sign is a mathematical concept of a, of a sine wave. It's a, the sigma wave. So the idea of uh, manifesting through your voice and sign, you put them together. And this is like your First Amendment right. You know, you've put on that mask and now people can't even hear you talk and you've already agreed not to be heard, you know, with with that's, no protest. That's that shock, agreed man. not to be heard. And you're part of the herd and you're part of the herd. Nice. Yes. And sign is also mathematically has to do with a bow 
and has to do with archery, which has to do with the first horseman. And these motherfuckers are bringing on, you know, the oldest script there is, and they're trying to manifest it uh, right under mm-hmm. our noses. But I think we're pretty aware to it now. That is some good shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, in, uh, I can't believe I had heard of this. I'm going to have to send this to Dylan because this Vox, Vox character that you're pointing out here, that is no different than Vox. Vox, right. V-O-X, which is Latin for voice. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Yep. All the papal decrees of old were called Vox in Rama, Vox in Excelso. And when I learned that, my head exploded because the papal decrees start with the word Voxin. Voxin. And here we are, following orders as usual. APB, A Papal Bull. APB, it's the same fucking program. People and wait, and Avaka is a cow, which is the female version of a bull. Which is sacred in Hindu mythology. Yep. And Egypt. Both Egypt and Hindu, because those are the land of Ham. This is why biblical history is worth a damn, because they have those correspondences. You know, Cleopatra, or no. Um, uh, and, and a bull, by the way, is a secret council. Oh, damn. Oh, like the Boule Society. Yeah. Bingo, bango, nice. Were you, were you talking about uh, the ball was the, uh, the golden calf, Gabe? Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, they found letters from Hecate, who was an Egyptian uh, pharaohess. She was in the role of a pharaoh, but she wore a fake-ass beard uh, because it was the mantle of the pharaoh. They found her letters that she was sending to a, a, a queen or a, yeah, a queen in Asia or India at the time, and she literally referred to her as sister in the letter. So we know that these same bloodlines were ruling internationally. Uh, way back then. And I doubt that it's much different today. In ancient Egypt, the, uh, the female priestesses, they had control over who was or wasn't Pharaoh as well. Yeah, buddy. Yep. And just to point out that Hecate, the female Illuminati thing has a lot of legs. Yeah, I agree, man. There's lots of goddess symbology all over the place. Um, been as long ago as they tell us it had it might have like eight legs or 12 legs (laughs) (laughs) it might have fucking snakes for legs i don't even know well they won't be spiders um yeah hecate she's the goddess of magic also well heka is the egyptian deity of magic heka right but even it, it bleeds into the European lore too. Uh, the Hecate is pretty much, I think, Striga, which is the the goddess of magic and kind of all over Eastern Europe, I think. And like all these things like bleed into each other. Like we always find, you know, in the mythologies, they always kind of get a little mushy between cultures, but they're all kind of the same thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I was uh, always harping on the Etruscans, and now I'm finding out that the uh, Chaldeans had the same practices, you know? So it's just neat right. to see what where they have common ground. Yeah, I'm, I suspect Chaldeans might not even be a real thing. Like, that might mm-hmm. be um, 
that might be a historical forgery to try to throw off the whole connection between the Etruscans, Etrurians, and India. Because yes. the Etrurian language is so similar to Sanskrit. It's so similar that they're clearly from the same source and not that far branches from each other. Yeah, buddy. All right, so we'll get back into the plot analysis here. Oh. Huge plot hole, by the way, in the fact that Harrow does his, he shoots his load, kills everybody around him that isn't, you know, not our, that's not, that's RH positive. <laughs> <laughs> I like that analysis, Gabriel. That there's something to that. He takes out all the RH po- uh, positives, but Layla has never been judged in the show, and she receives no effects from this. I thought that that was a huge plot hole, personally. Like she was right there in the vicinity, and nothing right. happened to her. But nobody's ever done the whole judgy Libra scales thing to her. So, just pointing out bad writing. That's a good point. That's a good point. The whole thing of her hiding along with them is bad writing, in my opinion. It seems like they would obviously notice, hey, the one guy's gone and there's somebody else here. How could they not notice that? (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Uh, But then, uh, as Gordy was saying, we got some necromancy here. Gordy, do you want to describe this part? Right. So this is is the... What's her name? The hippo goddess. Tauret. Tauret is speaking through the dead body that's in front of Layla. And um, I don't even remember what she's telling her, but. Tell her that she's got to break Khonshu's straw man. I mean, Ushabti statue that Mark can. She shouldn't attack them. She shouldn't purify the, (laughs) the enemy or whatever. She's not strong enough to take on Harrow. Go find the Khonshu statue is what she's telling him or telling her. Destroy the straw man. Which is interesting because she's telling her, <clears throat> her that by, by inhabiting a dead body. Like, <clears throat> if that's not a golem kind of idea or possession idea of using a straw man, like, I mean, that's what that is. So the next thing that happens while while she's possessing these dead bodies to talk to her, I found it really noticeable that the corpses were talking with their hands. Her hands were, I mean, I know tall red kind of is animated that way, but these dead bodies were like waving their hands around while they talked, you know, like way more than normal. And that got me thinking about hands, and then I started noticing the hands throughout the whole thing. But okay, in hand in Latin, manu, manus or manus, M-A-N-U-S, that means hands. Just hands. Demones sounds a lot like demons. D-I-D, manes, M-A-N-E-S, are chthonic deities that the Latin people believed in sometimes thought to represent souls of deceased loved ones. So these are deceased people talking to her and they're talking with their manus, <laughs> right? And she's trying to get it. And she's basically getting a communication from her deceased loved one who is Mark talking to her through Tauret through the dead body. 
So the Manes were associated with genie and a couple of other types of uh, deities, depending on the locality of whatever religious cult it was. But I thought I would talk about the Manes a little bit because it's an interesting concept. It looks like the word mains. Um, let's see. I have a couple of notes here. Yeah. St. Augustine wrote about these spirits and said that the souls of men are demons and that men become lares if they are good. Lemuris or larvae, larvae like larva, if they are bad. And manes, if it is uncertain whether they deserve well or ill. He also states that the blessed are called eudaimones, which is like the Greek word for good demon, because they're good souls or good demons. So, you know, these fathers of the church, by the way, guess what? St. Augustine wrote this book called City of God. Ah, that's where I was going. And the quote, this particular quote is from book nine, chapter 11. (laughs) All the spirits of all men are souls of all men are demons. Book nine, chapter 11. What do you know? He's that's an interesting rabbit hole that maybe we should go down sometime, but we could do a whole thing on a book club on St. Augustine. Oh, Dylan goes hard on St. Augustine in the fourth book. Oh, that's it's people need to get Dylan's books. Check out my audiobook of book three, July's end. Go ahead and read the fourth book a God's acre for winds of the soul. I will have an audiobook to you guys for that soon. I'm like, I'm about 40% done with it, but seriously, there's a lot in there. I'm about to actually do a quick word search for Mane's in that book and see if there's anything else worth pointing out because it was so clear to me that the concept was being invoked that the talking to through the dead person, talking with their hands, talking to a deceased loved one, you know, a little overwrought. Now he was, um, uh, St. Augustine was the Bishop of Hippo, which I think was in Northern oh. Egypt, right? No, um, he, Bishop of Hippo. There's the Hippo. And so he was on, he was in more of the Middle East, but he was sent by the church out to, I mean, this is, you know, Christian lore or whatever. Uh, but Augustine wrote City of God, and like I guess it was probably around supposedly 500, um, 500 years after Christ. Um, but he was stra- straddling that European because um, he was a missionary. He was a right. Christian missionary out in, into the Middle East. Right. And, and uh, also the first city in America, first ecclesiastically recognized city in America, historically, was uh, St. Augustine, Florida, right. carrying his name. Yeah. Which, shout out to the Florida guys. You know, the you guys doing all that uh, stuff on with Juan, and guy's got a fucking gator now? What the hell's happening? <laughs> yeah, man. it's it, That's an interesting project. Like, I thought it was done, but then... He just brought on another guy from Florida to like dig into a whole new level. That's and crazy. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot being un- unveiled in Florida presently. 
Yeah, isn't that weird though? Like this is this is how synchro this stuff is. We don't intend this, but we're talking about uh, alligators and crocodiles, and this is probably the entrance of the big one right here. So about the manes, there's a good couple of chunks of things about the manes in Dylan's book, but he says specifically. I'll just read a quote here. This is from a Godsaker for Wens of the Soul. Anubis was the conductor of souls. Mercury was the guide to the manes, the spirits of the departed. So the manes were regarded as the gods of the infernal regions. That would be hell or the sun in winter, underworld. The uh, <laughs> Basically, this has to do with, with Mercury, for sure. And Mercury was like the leader of the Manes, which would be the same as Charon, the ferryman, or Jesus going down into hell to free trapped souls there after his death. You know, and then there's also the, um, you guys are aware of the Manichaeans? Manichaeans? Oh, shit. Yes. Whoo. Yeah, I just had a fun little. Revelation on that recently. So the yeah the Manichaeans were sort of like an offshoot of the Dionysiacs or Mithraism, you know, another uh, mystery school, mystery cult, Eleusinian type cult who believed in the astrotheology thing, and they actually, according to Dylan, they created the idea of Christ or Christos. <laughs> it's actually Manichaeanism. That the church adopted, yeah, which I find very interesting. Manichaeus. That is interesting. Does he does he believe that uh, Augustine was a real person? I think he. I don't think he disputes Augustine being real or not. Other than How about you know, there's possibility of anything that old not being real that's just come to us in writing. Mm-hmm. But he has a lot of, from Augustine. In this fourth book, like Dude, a shitload. It's worth it. I I read it in college, and it was it was mind blowing because if you think about, it, I mean, it actually, you know, I grew up studying the Bible, being growing growing up in the church or whatever. But like getting into college and like reading apocryphal and like like uh, this kind of stuff, you know, Saint Augustine and and uh, finding out there's a whole there's a whole litany of of sacred texts that weren't included in the Bible. Like it opens you up to amazing things, you know? Well, check out this quote from Opera Augustini. That's a, one of the works of St. Augustine. Yeah. He says that in our time, that in our times is the Christian religion, which to know and follow is the most sure and certain health called according to that name but not according to the thing of the thing itself of which it is the name for the thing itself, which is now called the Christian religion really was known to the ancients, nor was wanting at any time from the beginning of the human race until the time when Christ came in the flesh, whence the true religion, which had previously existed began to be called Christian. And this in our day is the Christian religion. Not as having been wanting in former times, but as having in later times received this name. That's 
one of like basically the founders of Christian theology there. He's telling you, yeah. <laughs> and to me, that's like point. It kind of proves the point that it has, it really doesn't matter at all to have like a historical, uh, literal Christ figure appear. They're telling you right there, this whole thing existed before. We're just calling it Christianity now. Yeah. 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 We should, we should do a, a St. Augustine breakdown because there is, there's a lot there, you know, turns out Marquis du Sade was, uh, much later in history was attacking, uh, St. Augustine's writings, uh, because he knew those were the fundamental building blocks of civilization. So he was, you know, sweep the leg, Johnny. <laughs> and, and those are ideological extremes. You know, Marquis de Sade is, you know, uh, that's what sadism, that's where sadism gets its name. Sadomasochism gets its name from that guy. So you've got these two extremes and it's worth knowing those two uh, pillars, <laughs> the dichotomy of that. Speaking of Manichaeism. Hey, what's up, Jalo? And hey, Jenny, by the way, everybody like you, we have the best community in the chat. So hi, everybody. There's tons of good people in there. Stacy, D, Andy, JLo, Jenny B, Riot. Yeah, and more. But those are the ones that are currently visible in the chat <laughs> without scrolling. Love you guys. And of course, Cody. Cody's got fire all the time. And on the Rockfin side, we got artist Seer and Neil Barker and probably others, no doubt. So let's continue. We have a long way to go, actually. Yeah, it's going to be a late night. <laughs> but I wanted to get into that detour in the mayonnaise and um, the mayonnaise, <laughs> the mayo. <laughs> They're talking about mayonnaise in the chat because we're talking about mayonnaise. Mm. Hilarious. That's good. A syncretism sandwich. Now, okay, I found it interesting following this scene. I don't think I missed anything. Yeah. They go to the Great Pyramid and Harrow reveals a secret entrance in the side of the pyramid, which has long been written about. Uh, a secret entrance in the side of the pyramid has been written about for a long time. I'll just say that. Like that there's one hiding there and no one knows. I heard this. Uh, I, I think it was it. Graham Hancock talking about this years ago on on uh, Coast to Coast. I'm sure I could find it in Howdy's book if I looked for it. Yeah. By the way, Howdy's got a new book coming out next month. Dude, can we talk? He asked if he could come back on Interverse and talk about his new book. So we'll be seeing him soon. Rad. Very cool. So with this scene, you know, we're going into uh, Gates and I'm seeing... With Harrow being the center markation, the dividing line, I'm seeing six people on our left, five people on our right. And that's kind of a standard uh, Masonic tracing board. You look at the shape of the bricks and you got your checkered, your checkered pattern. Mm -hmm. This is the checkered pattern is always the point of exchange. Uh, is a good way to think about that. Um, but yeah, you got a six pointed star on one side and a five-pointed star on the other side. So very much a Masonic tracing board as he casts this spell here. So I mentioned that I could probably find something about the secret passageway in the Great Pyramid, and then I happened to just bibliomancy open to the right page. I'm not oh. even kidding. I just opened to the page about the Great Pyramid secret chambers. Of course <laughs> you did. So Jeez. I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs. I Surprise. know that we have a long way to go, but whatever, this is my show. 
Do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the season finale. We're going all yeah, the way. Go big, whatever, man. Yeah. Fuck it. We're going big. One of the things well known to insiders, but kept quiet from the public is the large number of tunnels, chambers, and passageways under the ground. There may be more beneath the surface than above. There may be more beneath the surface than above. In the 1970s, the Egyptian authorities did some tests at Giza. On the project was Dr. Jim Hurtok, who took video footage of a vast underground metropolis under Giza with massive chambers with large statues, underground waterways and lakes. They entered through a shaft found by Selim Hassan in the 1930s below the Khafre Causeway. And it was here 20 years later that Zawi Hawass, quote unquote, found the tomb of Osiris. On my first ship trip to Egypt, one of the site guardians took me to this passage and gave me the chance to go down to this underground world. Just as I began to walk down the long ladder, he said to my Arabic friend, Be careful. It is very dangerous down there. You can die. Ah, good. Good way to start my first week in Egypt. And, cho- and so I chose instead not to tempt fate or the authorities. So Stephen Meller believes that below the surface was constructed special water rivers and that temples and sites were built on top to harness the power of water. The Asgat Nefer harmony of water. Asgat Nefer means harmony of water in ancient Egyptian. Flowing water has a great vibration. Yeah, so he's talking about that. I guess that's not exactly the page talking about the side chamber opening on the side of the pyramid, but still. I feel like that's a relevant little passage because they're going to a very large secret chamber, the water river stream thing, underground stream, underworld stream. You know, that's where the the ferryman, the Charon carries you on, <laughs> carrying on, carrier of on, on the sun, Charon. Yeah. Yeah. Nice side tangent. Uh, I just like to point out that that Zari Hawass name, his name sure sounds a lot like Awas, the spirit that was invoked by Crowley in the pyramid. You know, it is definitely one big club, y'all. I'm glad I'm not in it. He's a super antagonistic character to people that want to dispute the right. circus of Egyptology, mainstream Egyptology. Yeah, and he's educated in America, but he's the Bufu of Egypt. Are they telling us something there? Could there be more Egypt in America than they're letting on? Oh, dude, yeah. I've been going down the uh, ancient America's rabbit hole lately. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yes, of course. There's there's freaking uh, pyramids right back here, like just all over the Americas. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I I would totally buy that. This is either the Egypt or another Egypt. Like you right. could you can make the case for both. Right. In you know in in biblical biblical history, they refer to the land of Egypt, which is not Egypt. It is the land under the dominion of an empire that is called Egypt. And so that gives a lot of wiggle room all the way from the Caucasus Mountains mm. all the way to here. So just throwing that out there, that the land of Egypt is not Egypt proper, where Cairo and Giza are. I grabbed this screenshot because of how dumb it is. <laughs> She's standing right in the middle of all these other 
goons. Like somehow that's normal and she totally fits there. She's disarmed. <laughs> it's not like there's a tons of them. There's four people. You're bloody, you're the fifth person. You're not gonna be getting noticed. Are you joking? Exactly. But it's they really... are pretty NPC looking. Like that guy is is looking to hire hail a cab on a on a sim street somewhere. So they come in and they find the council of the five avatars of the other gods and Harrow's like, you're not going to fight us. You're judges, not warriors. And Osiris is wearing black like the judges wear. Definitely, this is a court scene. We've talked about the courty, court, like, courtliness of this in previous episodes because they've come to this room before. But and Osiris is depicted as black oftentimes, too. But hey, we're, we're just talking about the manes. The hands. Good call, man. Yep. He's got the yep. magic hands. And he does like a pharaonic X before he casts the magic. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's just too blurred for me to grab that. But oh. I did notice that. But I bring that up. I bring the crossed arms up later because there's another example of it. Hey, since we brought up magic already, um, remind me later on when... Um, they they're chanting together of that I, there's some choice words they use in these these scenes and they're not using like they're they're not using ritual they're using spell they're actually saying the word spell when all these these gods are working in in unison and when you've got other people doing the chanting together she calls it a spell it's not oh nice catch. I know the spell. It's not ceremony. Like in yeah. in modern uh terminology, you to make it like more palatable or less woo for people, you just call it ceremony. I don't know why they wouldn't have just done done that and made this but we gotta like they have to make it sound like it's a it's not a, a ritual. They have to make it sinister, so they call it spell or witchy or dark or whatever. Right. When the act is actually a pretty pure, holy thing. If you were to do something, if you were in whatever this is that these gods are doing, I mean, clearly, yeah, it's a spell. Call it what it is. Sure. But I think it's a very good, interesting choice that they made, that these writers made to choose that word. Yeah, she is Egyptian. She's got the Egyptian roots. Mm -hmm. Kind of apropos. So he lays them all out, wipes them out with his uh, Setian scepter, waz, waz, staff. If you will, what did I have any notes about this, or was it just moving for the plot? Yeah, this was also avoidable. Okay, and then Strange he smashes the straw Hawthor. man. Hawthor is still alive. Like everybody else is clearly dead, but Hawthor, she's she's still making moves there. She's laying low, but she's still got some animation to her. So 
That's yeah, cool. I actually thought Hathor's avatar showed up. Like when I was rewatching this, I was expecting that there was going to be a scene where like she talks to Layla or something. I thought I had the impression she was still alive too, but it doesn't actually happen. Yeah, they might be telling us she could come back. Another thing is look at the tennis shoes on this on this dead body down here. Doesn't that make you think of uh just a little bit of the um uh, hail bop? Oh, the the white Nikes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just or was it Adidas? Totally. Yeah. I yeah. thought this one leg bent back, one leg down the stairs was also bizarre. You know, it, it makes me think of how the constellations uh, are in odd poses. Yeah. They, because they got to cram them in and contort <laughs> their human figure to fit the, uh, you know, connect the dots, stick figures of the heavens. Uh, so that was one thing it made me think about. Yeah, so he smashes the straw man, breaks the straw man spell for Amit, who can then be a living being again. And then they're all bowing before the reptilian overlord. She's got nice hair. Dreadlock, dreadlock, a nasty dreadlock. Your dreadlocks are weird because they become a tail. It's a very weird design. And I'm noticing she's wearing like a chainmail dress. Very scaly. I thought. Kind of kind of cool design, I guess. And there's a serpent. Like a coiled serpent up her middle here. Like a dollar sign. Mm. She's looking like money. She is green. <laughs> So then there's this part where she tells Harrow his scales lack balance, which is that he is like psychologically imbalanced or whatever. He is going to commit evil. And that was her whole thing is taking out people before they're before they do their evil. And I find it interesting that he says that he says to her that he was hoping by serving her and doing what he's doing that it would correct his imbalance. So it's kind of like he's trying to correct his status because we're in a courtroom here. And now she's become the judge, right? You know, like he's gone from the court of these avatars who are sort of like the men of the man's legal system. And now he's in the court of a god, higher power type of thing. He's trying to correct his status with her. And I found that interesting because his alter ego is a psychologist, right? In the hallucinatory visions of Mark slash Steven that we got into a lot in the last episode. And <laughs> in reference to the tennis shoes, they got served. That's a good one. Yeah. I think his name's Bill. Bill Hoff, right? <laughs> That's hilarious. But anyway... Psychologists often go into the the field, especially people that just get a psychology degree but never really get into practicing it, because they're trying to they're secretly trying to figure out how to fix their own self. Yeah, and that's what Harrow's doing here. He's trying to balance everyone else's balance the world with the scales of justice, but really he was just trying to balance his own inner imbalance. Just right. like a psychologist or psychiatrist, what become psychiatrists, drug prescribers. Yes. And so he's a hypocrite and he's about to take an oath. 
<laughs> There's about to be a Hippocratic oath in play here. And, you know, I think this is a good time. I've been sitting on this weave for a very long time. And, you know, I think it's perfect that we drop it on the moment that Ahmet uh, manifests. Uh, I'm going to shoot a couple of uh, images I put together. These are from way early in this project uh, because... Uh, I just don't want to miss it. I actually had it on deck the past few times we did the show, and I just don't want to fail to do it because this is speak now or forever hold your peace. So I've been thinking about uh, Ahmet a lot and how, you know, early on I was thinking, you know, does Ahmet have any close relationship to to Bast? And it turns out in the comic books, Ahmet's henchmen, were uh, were minions of Bast. And so uh, I put together some graphics from the comic books. And here you can see uh, Ahmet in the middle and the two, uh, uh, whatever, uh, henchmen are Bast characters. So you put those names together, you get Bast-Ahmet, Bast-Ahmet. And right here in the corner is Crowley. And Crowley used to refer to himself as the Baphomet. And now it's not that much of a stretch, uh, because if you roll that scroll down there, Chance, you can see that those are dog-headed god, god and goddess. That is what the Anubis and uh, Anput look like. Their ears are di- very distinct from the cat race. This is the dog race. They're not one and the same. So those henchmen, uh, who are, I think that's Kennedy uh, Kennedy and Billy uh, up above, the two cats next to Ahmet. And then here from the comics, this is Ahmet in her previous incarnations when she was a pharaoh long ago. Uh, spoiler alert to anybody into the comic book. So she's actually uh, has lion paws. Can you scroll down a little more? You see, she is a cat and a gator. She's a gato and a gator. So she has the bast in her cat-like aspect. She's got someone's heart here, too, which is a Leo thing. Nice. Yes. Even the color is all Leoed out, you know, in this particular image. So uh, putting the bast and the Amet together, you do get Baphomet, but it kind of has a uh, micro and a macro because it can you flip to the next one here, Chance? This is an old, uh, an old thing from early in my work with the uh, Avengers and the tarot cards. And Chad Aaron Bozeman, his initials, uh, Chadwick, Chadwick Aaron Bozeman, his initials are C-A-B. So the, and his god, as uh, Black Panther, his goddess was uh, Bast. He worshipped Bast. So he is a goat. He's a cabra. He, his ra is the cob. He in, is embodying this goat because he was sacrificed, literally. The actor was sacrificed. Whether that he really died of colon cancer or not, not getting into that. But you go over to Ahmet's actor, and the name of Ahmet's actor is a hawk. And when you cross the cabra in the hawk, you get the Baphomet. 
And so I just thought I would put that all together that, you know, these guys are using uh, uh, esoteric occult ingredients and mixing and matching them in uh, not quite explicit format. You know, it takes, like we were saying, it takes a lot of context to see the weave here. But I think that Ahmet is omitting the Bast aspect, the Bast Ahmet. So I just thought I would throw all that in together in one nice mixing bowl and serve it up tonight. Okay, I got one too. Amit backwards is Timma. And Timma is a Swedish word for an hour. Hmm. So we have like a father time reference and Amit there. Yes. Which yes. I'm I'm associating Amit heavily with Capricorn. Nice. Yeah. Which uh yeah, which is the uh, devil card for sure. Yep. Totally. Yeah. There's also, when I was searching about Timma, <laughs> there's definitely a goat named Timma as well. A Latvian basketball player named Janice Timma, who is a uh, a goat of sorts. Maybe not the goat, but apparently he's a big deal. I've never heard of him before, but I don't know a lot about basketball. But his name's Janice. <laughs> Janice Timma. I thought that was interesting. Sweet. Sweet. But yeah, this is good. I remember this stuff. I could talk about bathymetry and mammetry all day. I'm really thinking the more I, the more I learn that the uh, Templars and whoever was in charge of the, and I think it was the Vatican, whoever was in charge of the uh, Saracens, the Muslims during the Crusades, I'm pretty sure one power was playing both sides. And I'm pretty sure the Baphomet is the Muhammad. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah. I'm like quite sure of that. So it's it's like a perfect recipe for like pissing off the uh, you know the Islamic by depicting their god, right? You know, which is high blasphemy, and it also pisses off the Christians <laughs> because it's you know uh, a chimera. It's like the the perfect way to just piss everybody off and keep everybody guessing. You know where your allegiances lie, and you know all of that plays into the the days of um, the conversos, and you know taking people captive and making them uh, spit on their own Jesus or piss off, you know, a blaspheme mm. their their yeah. own their own true roots. Which I want to point out: a roadside stop is a converso experience, and so the technology that was implemented back in the days to get somebody to give their allegiance to a God that they may not give a fuck about uh, is still in play when the, uh, when the LEO, the law enforcement officer pulls you over and makes you uh, pledge your allegiance to whatever God he worships. So that's something to think about in my humble opinion. (laughs) So, I'm going to bring this back up. She's telling Harrow, serve me and you will find peace. Uh, so she's saying she'll save him if she, if he serves her. I just find it interesting how this is probably just like beyond the scope of intentions being put in here. They're just writing a plot, but in Latin, uh, servo, like S E R V serve, servo 
means to save. <laughs> so it's actually the same as sarve or salve, like salvation, salvator. And uh, it's a word relating us to wisdom and healing and serpents as well. And serpo with a P is the Latin word meaning to creep, which is part of, partially where we get serpent because they creep upon the ground and they're creepy and all that. But I just thought that was interesting. Uh, serve and salve, you know, serve and save. Servo. She's the savior. Kind of like people go into indentured servitude in the past because they were getting salved from some other bad situation. And there's also the P, the P to, uh, or the V to B switch is a big one. V and B makes me think of Serbians. <laughs> Serbians like a called that from some slave time. I don't know. I don't know much about Serbians. Serbians. Yes. You know what? That goes back to that rabbit hole I went down with the Egyptian flag going back and forth. I found a, a term, a term of a proxy warrior class that proudly wore the title of paid for bought and paid for. Um, and it was, uh, I'll see if I can dig it up while we, while we move forward, because I just find it kind of profound that some people are like, you know, wearing a mantle that is basically like, I'm a slave and I love it. <laughs> This is the Serbian flag. Who are they serving? <laughs> Double-headed eagle. Janice action. Yeah. Janice Timma, the basketball player. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, this is fascinating. She says, do not let the pain of the past control you. But that's Harrow's whole jam. He loves letting the pain of the past control him. He puts glass in his shoes. He's MK Ultra to the max. He loves his MK Ultra servitude. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. And she she also talks about she had a a servant previously whose scales were perfectly balanced. And that's and she ended up getting locked away. And I'm pretty sure she's talking about Alexander the Great when she makes that reference. That's a good point. And it is interesting how if we're looking at this in a legal sense, this is like a Supreme court SCOTUS <laughs> situation, Ooh, nice. a, a judge here, high, high ranking judge who is willing to break her, the law basically to get her way overall. Yep. You, you know, they don't want us to know the actual law. Right. Cause we're they not- want to be, because if, they did, then the very system they're in control of would bring, they would be brought down by it. Yep. The Scotus right of Freemasonry. I love that weave, man. Praise Dylan. Praise Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's good. Full of good stuff. Okay, then Layla breaks the Khonshu statue and frees Khonshu. And he offers to make her his avatar. You guys have any thoughts about this? I have to sneeze. Um, <laughs> bless you. It happens. I keep co- I kept coughing and not muting it, so I, I apologize to everybody. Um, but 
before we get too far and down another thing, I, I just want to address, you know, one of the themes of the, the whole series was, you know, people are being taken over by spirits, by powerful gods and stuff being controlled. <clears throat> so I'm just saying, what if there was a really high up politician who was already dead, but could we just, uh, you know, puppet it along for a few years? I'm just saying. Yeah, could, be a, could be a few options there. Yeah. I think I know what you're getting at. <laughs> uh, so one thing that, like, we just got done talking about uh, salvation, and now we're talking about enslaving. Uh, so there's that's kind of a stark contrast that Harrow is like, yeah, he's all about like bowing down, taking the knee, order followers, and here we have an Egyptian bloodline, a royal princess, perhaps, who uh is like, no, fuck that, I don't bow down to nobody. Yeah. Uh, Interesting so- too, the difference between salve and slav, yeah, save yeah. or slave. Yeah. Would be an al or a law, basically a masculine or a feminine position. Oh, that is interesting. Yes, you know, um, turns out the uh, you know the word Slav is a Slavic uh, from the Caucasus region, and in the olden days, the word uh, Africa actually was on the map in the uh, Caucasus region because uh, it was an extended territory of Africa. Uh, and nowadays they have like, they, they use a, they specify, they've cut that away and now they say continental Africa, uh, removing it from that Slavic extended territory. So that is uh, just an interesting fact that like, you know, Slavs, Caucasians, slaves, Africans, uh, there's like a really hairy mm-hmm. overlap going on with these terms. <laughs> Did you say that before or after reading the comment here? <laughs> Not until now. That's, funny. That's great. <laughs> so she rejects his offer to be Concha wants to make her his avatar. He calls her little bug. Like her father called her his little scarab. I thought that was a bit kind of rude of Khonshu to do that. Then Khonshu picks a fight with the big lizard. And she says, time has been cruel to you. Well, Amit, I think Amit is the time Lord of this situation or the, the the father time, mother time. She's more like a mother time or whatever. And, you know, I just realized too, her name is Amit. What is time backwards? Amit. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And Timma, Timma is our in old Swedish. It is not modern use, by the way. That's like an archaic word. That's badass. I dig it. I totally dig it. So she says time has been cruel to you. (laughs) We have the uh, ageless lizard versus skeletal floating bird head. I don't know what we make of that. Other than that, the lizard people have figured out a way to defy time, but, <laughs> you know, that's the question. Yeah. 
and when they when they fight, you know, he's uh, he's he's lightning quick, light on his, you know, he's flying around, he's, he's light on his feet, and she's sluggish and slow. It's very interesting. Yeah, that would also fit with the moon and Saturn because the moon is the quickest moving thing in the sky. Oh, right, right. He's the moon. Oh, and great. Saturn's the oh. slowest moving thing in the sky. From the yeah, from the old naked eye planets. Totally great point. Yeah, yeah, and he's like appearing and disappearing in different places. The moon is kind of like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, if you track the moon, it does weird jumps. Oh, wow. I yep. There's the three strikes. We got it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now we finally catch up to where Mark has been. He is in the field of reeds getting to have his uh, Zen moment here. Field of reeds is like the afterlife that the priest class sold to the Egyptian people that if they did all the right things and paid them enough to get mummified correctly and they bought enough little statues, then they would get to go here and live with Osiris. Uh, what did I, let me pull my notes up. She says you're manifesting the piece you always wanted. I thought that was interesting that in this other plane, if it is even another plane, this layer of his psyche, whatever he wants seems to happen. And whatever happens seems to be based on what he believes will happen. Like, I wonder if part of the reason why he's having these experiences in the afterlife or the duat is because the part of him that is Stephen Grant believes all this stuff or has been, you know, obsessed with it and researching it for years. And he knows all the details about it. Kind of like how people who have NDEs wind up seeing deities based on the religion that they're interested in a lot of the time. So it just draws into question the entire series, especially with the thing that comes up later in this episode. Is any of this real or is this all a dream or imagination of of some being? And then that question, I think, is meant to be applied to the larger reality of, quote unquote, real life. Yeah, man. You know, one thing uh, that I see in this, you know, we've got that distinct golden hue. uh and we have a tower, tower wet uh, next to him. Uh, I think, you know, coming from the Saturnian cosmology concept, uh, you know, there's a hearkening to the golden age here. And there, you know, there may be people out there who uh, might believe that these desert lands once upon a time were fertile and, you know, you could grow wheat. Uh, and that something happened to uh, convert all of that fertility into a wasteland of sand, the sands of time, so to say. Uh, so, yeah, the Tower Wet is definitely a, a Saturnian cosmology, the Golden Age. And he just turns his back and takes a few steps and he's in the sand again uh, under a purple sky, which is also a Saturnian cosmology ingredient. Yeah, and there's kind of like a theme here, too, of if we had a blissful, peaceful, static state, we wouldn't actually like it. Right, right. That the conflict and the struggle and the story of life is why we're doing it, why we don't just sort of bliss out as the all-knowing aspect of 
the omniscopic self part of the full life fractal in totality and pleuromic <laughs> all knowingness. <laughs> Would we really like that? <laughs> I mean, to me, the meaning of life is life. And I think the reason we're here doing all this stuff we're doing instead of the true part of ourself, the big part of ourself being in that allness state is because no, I'm not good with that. <laughs> like Mark says, it's not boring, really. Maybe that's the whole point of why he goes back. He never really, it's interesting. You know, the piece you've always wanted that you never had. Then when he gets it, he realizes he didn't really want that. And then yeah. jumping forward uh, back to this fight scene that's coming up between set and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Amit. <laughs> she says her path is set. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's funny because you and set are both lizards. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Mark Mark goes back to the duot to find Stephen. He doesn't feel good about leaving Stephen behind. Leaving Stephen. And then back to the hands thing, you see Stephen's outstretched hand. And Mark puts the their heart back into Stephen's hand. Their hands are together. So this is very much like a Mane's Manus moment because he's going to the realm of dead souls to pull out a loved one sort of mercury mercury style there's an alchemical marriage happening uh like even you know a birth or a yoni opening in the opening of this gate and the one's wearing black one's wearing white you know they they both turn into stone here actually and then the gate opens and they both turn back to normal and they escape. Uh, he also says to Stephen, you are the only real superpower I ever had. <laughs> and then there's like a flood. I find it interesting when this like gate, gato, cat, pussy, yoni opens. <laughs> there's a flood that happens after that. Good call. A birthing. Yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, this is a redemption, a scene of redemption. And now he's a good. He can be bought and sold and trade, traded again. He's socially acceptable. He can return <laughs> to the world. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's, he's, mercs, he's mercs now, which is merchandise. Totally. And then I don't know if I get a screenshot of it, but when, when this flood comes, she actually cuts it in half. There's a hewing at this birth scene. She divides the waters from the waters, if you will, but it's flood of uh, sand with the boat, with the ship, the vessel. The the ship gets in the way of the full delivery power of the birth. Yeah. 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 Total placenta action going on as usual. (laughs) I'm glad you see it too. (laughs) Only, you know, we're both crazy, not just one of us. No. (laughs) (laughs) And then he gets his suit, his birthday suit back. He wakes up, he's alive. He gets his birthday suit back. Christ pose again. He's a good fella now. He's a good man. He's Oh, he renews his vows too with uh, Khonshu at this point. It shows all these flashes from scenes in the past where 
the words of Kanchu asking him to like take his vow to serve are shown alongside of his scenes with his wife, who he also has a vow to on that interesting because, you know, whenever you get married, that is also like a corporate merger. It's sort of a legal alchemical wedding of sorts. It's <laughs> putting, bringing two bodies together, corporate bodies for uh, what's the word <laughs> for commerce reasons. That's the word commerce Congress. Yeah. And the negotiating deals part that comes up next just really solidifies that he's Merck's now that he's uh goods <laughs> because he's negotiating a different deal with Kanchu when he, uh, when he comes back to life, he goes and finds Kanchu. Kanchu actually leaves the battlefield because he senses Mark being alive. And Mark and Steven are like, yo, if we save everybody from the giant lizard lady, you have to free us from our bondage, our service. Right. And now that he's integrated. Servitude. Yeah. And now that he's integrated, he's all of a sudden uh, like fully balanced, capable of negotiating the terms of the agreement. Uh, you know, he's gone through his, uh, his trial, his underworld trials, and now he's reborn. And so now he has the ability to command the gods to, to manipulate the gods and bend the, the extending circumstances of the contract to uh, meet his expectations. Right. So he's, he's integrated himself. He's integrated his shadow. And what are you, are you saying that it's like an apotheosis kind of process? Totally. It sounds like that, right? Totally. Yep. Yeah. He's, you know, he's summoned the suit and he can switch in and out. He doesn't have to look at a mirror. He doesn't have to be in trauma. It doesn't have to sneak up on him. He can just flip and flop, come in and out of the private and the public, whichever way it suits him. Shout out Logan Cook. Thanks for the $5 tip, dude. That brother is always dropping me extra fiber on live streams. Appreciate you a lot, man. Thank you. All right. So I'm trying to keep us flowing here since we are pretty Already late in the <laughs> late in the game. Uh, so Kanshu then turns it from night to day. That was interesting. What did we make of that? I'm sorry, he turns it from day to night. I thought this was also a plot hole because later they go into the city of Cairo and nobody seems alarmed that it just went from the middle of the morning to full moon up, dead of night, no stars. Oh, you know what? I think this is a, um, this might be actually indicating an eclipse. Because remember when he had to summon the Enneagram, he caused an eclipse to happen. And so maybe what they're actually indicating is uh, that there's, that he has the ability to cause an eclipse so that a, a conflagration uh, can come about, which has been used in the past to psychologically manipulate 
you know, enemies who don't know when the eclipse is coming. There, there have been entire battles, like the Battle of Tippecanoe, uh, many battles. They waited for the eclipse, and then they, you know, went out and pretended like they were commanding the elements. Yeah, you're right, and here's why. Cool. Okay, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that I was maybe supported with my observation here. But look closely. You mentioned eclipse. Is this the foreskin separated from the head of the circumcised penis? I don't know. It it's looks like that covenant. to me. It's a new covenant. Okay. They made a new deal. Okay, Dr. He Freud. gets circumcised. He was just born again. <laughs> I don't know, guys. It's a new covenant. You got it, man. Duck and cover. That's great. Duck and cover. Better cover. I mean, look at that. Does that sure. not does it not look like that? Yeah, man. <laughs> Better make sure your insurance is going to cover this new agreement. <sighs> man, covering Great. the Kyborium, it's so spiritual, it blows the mind. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, so uh, I, it's not just me. You guys see it too. That's all I need. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I can't unsee it. Now you can't unsee it. Now all you see is the head of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course I see it. It's amazing. Everybody saw it, but nobody saw it. it. It's kind of (laughs) like everybody saw this in the show, but nobody saw the head of the penis there after the new covenant. Now now the writers can't even use this next season. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say everybody saw a dick. Let's, let's put that out there. Let's put this out there. If they do it in second season, watch and see how many times they use that image. Dick. Well, there's like a few slides away from here, too. Just a few slides from now, we're going to be shown a capstone <laughs> metaphor, too. Nice. You know, the, the head yeah. of the pyramid, the cap of the stone. Yeah. That's also similar. But first, we have to have... <laughs> I just grabbed this slide because uh, Layla found Osiris and then he like drops dead over the avatar of Osiris. And I thought it was very sad. He had sudden adult death syndrome. Oh, shit. (laughs) Because he seems like he's fine. And then he just drops dead. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's really weird. He's not bleeding or anything. He just drops dead. It's weird. It's 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 sad. It's very sad. (laughs) <laughs> you know they blocked that hashtag on on uh, Fedbook and Twitter. Died suddenly. They blocked yes. the hashtag and the phrase. Yeah, because it's happening so much. Like uh, ambulance wait times are at all time high because there's so much cardiac arrest happening. Dude, it's ridiculous getting and, any kind of medical care. If you actually need medical care right now, it's it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's like eight-hour, 12-hour waits in the ER. Mm-hmm. Remember, strange is a gematrological... Shortage. Uh, Doctor shortage. shortage. Doctor shortage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shortage things. Yep, stranger things. Shortage mm-hmm. of things. Nice weave, man. Uh, then she, Layla talks to Tauret through her own self and she has her own fun schizophrenic two voices, two characters in one body moment. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, this is so dark. I tried to brighten up some of the screenshots, but I missed it on a few. But whatever. Just get a manic face here. Just just a quick point. She just witnessed a, a SADS. Now she's having a teachable moment. And now she's going to agree to take on an avatar. Just an interesting point. You know, they got to wait for that trauma to open you up so that you'll agree to the terms of the, of the contract. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, these Egyptian gods of the MCU are not like the other gods in the MCU. They are more like demonic spirits. Especially the way they're depicted, like entering and exiting people occasionally as like smoke. It's very gin for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And we wove that on the first one because he, you know, he kills the, the, the dog in his initiation scene and gin and werewolves are natural uh, enemies. So yeah, total gin action. Okay. Uh, then Harold's all gin all the time. Gin on gin action. <laughs> the gin, the gin grow giant and jam all over the pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And he's at the top of the pyramid. This is the capstone part I was talking about. He's like lighting up the capstone top right. of the great pyramid. And let's, let's just make sure if anybody hasn't heard it before, but you know, capstone city is an old term. It's old. It's at least a decade now. And that's when they've got everybody on the payroll for whatever false flag they want to run. Even the coroner is on the payroll to declare deaths, whichever way he's told, not based on the actual empirical evidence or the truth. They're all bought and paid for. So yeah, Capstone City, we're about to see that uh, come into action here. And he orders all of his followers to... Yeah, here's an obvious Capstone thing. He orders all of his followers to judge everybody. Yeah, buddy. Followers of Amit... Emit time, judge everybody. And I just, what made me think about here, <laughs> the diversity of some of his followers made me think of how, like, the left, the leftists are always judging others for what they themselves do. And, you know, they're judging everyone for like the sins they're going to commit in the future, but they're literally committing mass murder. <laughs> It's so crazy. Yeah. See, you shot me something, Gabriel. Yep. Here so we go. Good. Perfect. All right. Yeah, this is the part, you know, this is kind of the uh, the MO of Ahmed's uh, acolytes. Is pr- they are really into judging people before their sins happen. So I started looking at uh, pre-crime. And, uh, well, actually, this, this graphic of the tip top here, this was when I looked up the WHO, the WHO. I just put in WHO, and I started scanning through hits off a DuckDuckGo. And here I found this graphic that the WHO is putting out. And this is an assessment of intrinsic capacity. And I just find it very alarming that what we're looking at when you take the who 
And some of what they have put forward publicly, this is not hard to access this agenda. And you overlap it with all the possibilities that uh, the, the notes and themes of pre-crime that we're seeing in this film. You overlap the two and you, I mean, we are looking at minority report uh, being enforced by the WHO, by the anonymity, the nameless uh, the nameless, uh, the nameless one, who they're called the who, you don't know who's doing this to you. Who are they? Are you just a conspiracy theory? No, they are who <laughs> they are the WHO. So, uh, assessment of intrinsic capacity, you reverse that acronym and you get CIA. That's pretty telling. There's a who for you. Uh, in, uh, these are some of the faculties that they will, uh, used to determine if you can should be out amongst the rest of the world, if you deserve to uh, walk freely or come and go as you see fit. And, you know, the center here, intrinsic capacity, that's an IC, which is a nine and a three in uh, ordinal reduced. Uh, 93 is the uh, symbol of uh, the Thelemic Order tries to claim it. Secret societies in general goes back to the Rosicrucians. Ninety three is uh, is their number. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting, just a little graphic that gives you a little understanding of where their headspace is at and things that they're looking for to make a determination on your mental well being uh, going forward. And it's just horrifying to think about. Um, can you scroll down, Chance? Yeah. So then I, you know, I pull up a graphic from the red flag laws in the United States. You know, they call this uh, emergency risk protection orders, ERP. Well, you flip that around and you get PRE. It's pre-crime. It's uh, already up and running. These red flag laws, they're already up in, uh, it says 17 states here. I'm pretty sure it's way more than that at this point. I think they're just trying to jab us in the ribs with that number 17. Uh, uh, 17 hails back to the uh, parable of Jesus casting the net off the right side of the boat to capture 153 fish. 153 is the 17th triangular number. So the whole Q program was a fishing operation, uh, no doubt in my mind, as is the ERP. Uh, emergency or it's also a extreme risk protection order is another term that they use. This is just a list of some of those states. And you can see that they're kind of uh, we're fighting a battle on two fronts here. A lot like Germany was fighting a battle on two fronts here, east and west, you know, the classic pincer maneuver. Uh, just thought I would lay that out in a map and give people a little context for the pre-crime thing. Can you roll down a little more chance? And down here, this is a trip and a half. This is a, this is a trip and a half. It was recently brought to my attention. Uh, thank you so much, Carrie, for uh, pointing this out to me, that hospitals are considered foreign trade zones. And that meant so much to me. That meant so much to me right away. Uh, so big love, Carrie, for pointing this out. Big love. Uh, the standard Red Cross 
that is the symbol of the hospital, the hospitallers, is a Knights Templar flag. Mm-hmm. This red flag, this red flag laws of the Knights Templar is the symbol of your local hospital. And so it's also the flag for Switzerland. And Switzerland is neutral. Your hospital is neutral territory. You're on a free trade zone. Uh, and guess where one third of all the uh, cops' firearms, one third of them are SIGs. Uh, nine millimeter SIG Sawa is the stand, is one third of all the cops are rocking firearms made in Switzerland. Uh, so it's very profound that this Knights Templar flag is the flag of your hospital. Pigs with SIGs. Pigs with SIGs. That's exactly right. So I looked up Free Trade Zone, and it even had this red, uh, the iconic red. And uh, this was off of a website called Crowley Logistics. Crowley Logistics. What? Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I know. I know. It was too much. I had to put it all in one crap and you walk away. No. (laughs) It's called Crowley Logistics. Okay. So uh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. God. Okay. Fudge, dude. That's a lot. But. Uh, the map. Okay, <clears throat> you scroll back up to the map. That looks just like the beginnings of um, of. Um, you guys have read read or seen um, Man in the High Castle? Oh shit! So no. what happens is is uh, you've got the uh, Japanese have taken over the west coast, uh, and the Germans have taken over the east coast, and they're trying to. Pinch the rest of of the of uh, uh, the rest of the flyover states. What they call us, the rest of us, the flyover states. The, but we're wow. the body that keeps keeps the heart going. So, um, yeah, trade antiques. <laughs> that, that'd be for for the uh, staying neutral. The guy, the guy in. Uh, in uh, A Man in the High Castle, the guy who stays, he's trying to stay neutral between all the, all the sides, uh, of course, is the one that ends up getting fucked the hardest, right? Right. Instead of choosing, choosing yay or nay. But uh, yeah, staying neutral. Um, also, Good to note here, since Templars are, have been brought up, that the Freemasons and Templars think they they have they always say that they have this lineage to uh, the Egyptian mystery schools. There is up for a lot of debate. It's more of a reinterpretation of a mythology, personally, but those things are there in every single every single one of these mythos. You're talking about, yeah, the Freemasons, the nice Templar, the Templars were the hospitalers. They're the ones that built the first hospital systems. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all connected. Don't you think that, you know, people kind of get that everything's kind of uh, web, kind of uh, weave, whether you want to be part of it or not. We're experiencing all this together. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's all connected. 
Yeah, you know, there was an island in the middle of that map. It was Colorado. Mm-hmm. And that's where NORAD, that's where NORAD is. Cheyenne Mountain. Yep. And yeah, Colorado, that was a big deal. Colorado Springs has more government agents per capita than any other uh, city in the country. Mm-hmm. So they're already armed and on the payroll. It's already there. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to back to some plot. <laughs> oh, right, the thing we were doing. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys are the best, by the way. That whole graphic, Gabriel. Again, this is why you're on the team. <laughs> For real, I wish man. I could pay you like a huge salary. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. Getting I seriously owe you off. some money. Getting this knowledge out is payment enough, man. Getting people's heads wrapped around the big picture. The big picture. Well, this is it right here. Uh, The capstone, top of the pyramid, cabal, feeding loose to a giant reptile. That's the big picture. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Right? I mean, does this not encapsulate the whole? Exactly what that is. Everything we talk about all the time. Exactly what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Loose sucking. To feeding loose to the big crack monster. Okay. So now we have dramatic Middle Eastern music playing while Layla emerges as the avatar of Towerat, even though she looks exactly like Isis. Exactly like Isis. I, you know, that, that's what? another thing. What? <laughs> like, why doesn't she have like hippo powers? I don't understand. Like, if she was the avatar of Towerette, she would be going around, like, helping people give birth. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, she kind of did. She did kind of help Mark get reborn. There's that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, early on in this series, we kind of jumped ahead to this factor. We brought a graphic forward about her... This strange flap in the between the middle of her legs there. It's like a could be construed as a very huge dog. She might be rocking some preapis energy with that, <laughs> with that gigantic flap there. You know, she wears the panties in the family. Uh, uh, it's also a Mason's a Mason's uh apron is another way to read it. Yeah. Uh but also uh in uh, royal royal art or um, portraits, queens, very frequently they're wearing a garter on their arm, an arm garter, and it looks like a belt, and it's tied yeah. in a very uh, a very peculiar fashion. You know, the order of the garter is a is a secret society in its own right. It has to do with Francis Bacon and Shakespeare, but that garter looks like a cube. So I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm not going to get behind it or, or uh, uh, I do not sanction any of the Q information, but I will point out that she is uh, rocking the royalty with the garter that is in the shape of the Q. Might have to do with Michael Jackson. Might not. <laughs> Guys, I've hit the restroom. I'll be right back. Right on, right on. And, you know, we did it. We did. We kind of consummated the Beatle and the Tarouette. Oh, because because she is the high priestess card, which is in Capricorn, and the beetle 
is uh, cancer up above, which is 180 degrees. So it has that propinquity, that uh, 180 relationship. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about the the armbands, the garters. Um, in I was watching this, trying to try to like, you know, dig into like old or what archaeology thinks is now is going on now. Try to keep up with that stuff, you know, and it's hard to keep up. But um, one thing they found a lot of in um, Ireland, like Northern Ireland and Northern Europe anyway, is those torques. It was a very big, it's a golden armband and it was uh, symbolized nobility, but it also symbolized belonging also that you belong to that clan. So not only were you, <clears throat> you're associated with it and as an honor, but you're also a servant, a slave of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. You know, that makes me think of Hecate again, she of two torches, and here she is rocking the two swords, very Mm. Hecate-esque. Isis and Nephthys, when they were depicted uh, with bird bodies, it was usually a kite or a kestrel, uh, which is a type of, you know, another raptor. And it was a black kite was the sacred raptor of Isis, black. Uh, So the wings were said mythologically to like be for shielding and protecting Osiris. So they did use the wings that way a lot in this episode. She's like, Captain America of the Falcon, whatever. (laughs) She is cooler than the Falcon. Although we never really see her fly with these wings. I thought that was sort of lame. Just kind of a little bit. Yeah. She like takes off at somebody, but no, doesn't like fly, fly. Yeah. Yeah. She does a dive bomb and just minimum flying. Yeah. Chance, I found that graphic from way early in our work. I shot it to you. If you want to just flash it. Okay. It's you got a, it's, a, it's got an interesting phrase on it that I think is worth uh, pointing out. Yeah. So the translation of this Latin phrase here is shamed be who thinks ill of it. And that is really interesting magic. It's almost like it, uh, uh, it casts judgment on you just for perceiving it. it it's got this weird catch 22, you know, uh, it's just a really fascinating. I'm sure there's way more meaning to it, but. Right in and of its uh, on the fir- on the surface level, it's just uh, seems very in your so, face. Fuck you! I, yeah, hey. fuck the haters. That's what that means. Right, right. Unfuckwithable. Yeah, unfuckwithable. Cool. I just thought that'd be good to nice. bring up here. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I would. We could weave on that more, but we'll just move forward. There's the, I just grabbed this to, because in case I had forgotten to say something about the Ford Raptor from earlier. Isis and Raptors are a big deal. Oh, now, now I'm looking at it, there's like dirt, a smudge covering part of the P, and it looks like it says Raptor, which is a boat, a one riding a boat, a Raptor, <laughs> or Raptors can be part of a ceiling 
columns and beams in the ceiling? I don't know. Probably not important. <laughs> that, that makes me think of, I was at the circus last month and I saw a ride called Tornado. And now I'm reading everything in reverse. And uh, Tornado is uh, Odin wrote, uh, which makes me think of, um, yeah, the breath of Odin, the storm god. Uh, you know, you got to rotate the word to find that it's the breath of Odin. You went to a circus. Well, Thor or Tor is a storm god. Right. Yeah. Not the circus, the fair. Thank you. Oh, okay. I'm like, <clears throat> there's stuff. Circuses? The most no, was, Let's go no, see no. elephants. Yeah. I thought they were canceled. Yeah, yeah. they got canceled, yeah. man. <laughs> so now begins the, the freak show. That's final battle between the gods and the monsters and the avatars. I just Titan thought this against was the Titan! This is kind of a cool shot. Yes. Arrow descending, Moon Knight ascending. Yeah. And uh, one thing that is kind of cool when they turn it sideways like that, because it starts off upright, is the pyramid steps. But when they tweak it, this 45 degree tweak, uh, it looks like they're in a field of pyramids. So it goes from the from the mm-hmm. from the micro in that little tweak, it becomes the macro. And these two uh, are duking it out while their gigantic avatars are also embodying the same conflict. Very, That's a pretty uh, good read. Yeah, very, very fun uh, cinematographic trickery going on. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the whole like Cancer versus Capricorn of it all, Cancer ruled by the moon, Cancer when the sun is at the height of its power in the sky clock and Capricorn being opposite of that in the sky clock, you know, Capricorn was in power. He was at the top of the pyramid, top of the bin bin. And he's descending as the cancer sign is is ascending. Like that's very zodiacal. He's coming down one and uh, Mark's going up. Thought that was maybe irrelevant. Now there's also, Oh, this was also just a cool screenshot. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is, this is where it goes. Marvel. This is the episode where there's just a lot of extemporaneous action sequences and people get thrown and stuff. And yeah, superhero poses and cool marketing and one liners. Yes. Yeah, I agree. There's less to analyze in the fight scenes, which is okay. Yeah. You know, just to kind of consummate that idea of the them being the equinoxes, uh, Harrow very much is been, has been embodying the Moses character, you know, leading uh, people through the desert. Maybe the uh, solstices, by the way, not the equinoxes. Oh, well, I, I'm, my mind sees uh, equinox because I'm reading Moses in monotheism right now. And I'm thinking about Moses a lot, and I've, I've placed him very strongly in Libra because he's called the liberator and the lawgiver. So I've placed Moses strongly in Libra in my mind. So this is my own bias showing. But then, uh, then we have uh, whoever Mark on the other would be March, and even his the shape of his head is the Aries sign. 
So I'm just thinking you're, of, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Aries or Cancer would both Aries versus Libra, Cancer versus Capricorn. Here we you go. could even say that like you could even say that Mark is Aries because he is a Pisces. He's like right almost into Aries on his birthday, but he's the you know, he's born again. He's also the sacrificial one. Oh, he has yeah. to be he has to die and rise again. He's the Christ figure, he's always like this. So he is the Hiram of Aries, and Harrow does wear a Libra fucking tattoo. So right. maybe that's it. And then their uh their gods, Kanshu and Amit, are Cancer and Capricorn. Could be oh, like that. Oh nice. Damn, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That where we get all four points of it. Sweet. Yeah. And he's even you know, he's even up higher than Harrow now. Right. He sprung a surprise attack on him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now Amit fights Khonshu and they're as big as the pyramid. Now we know that Amit got that big because she loosed a bunch of souls. But it's never explained why, how Khonshu got big. Another plot hole, by the way. They should have at least explained why he's a giant now. <laughs> Ahmed had to eat a bunch of souls for that shit. I don't get it. Yeah, you know, and come to think of it, if we are talking about Saturn versus the moon, that's a key uh, handing off of responsibilities in Saturnian cosmology, you know, the whole Velikovskian theory that has gone way beyond anything Velikovsky was willing to posit it has grown into its own thing. But this is interesting that, you know, they believe that Saturn once was sitting at the North Pole and, the, and that the moon was a late arrival to the entire uh, system. So it is, I think we're on it with the moon, Saturn versus the moon here. I think that's great. And Saturn goes through a fall, loses the battle, and the moon takes its place. Uh, yeah, that's badass. I love that weave. Ooh, St. George, the patron saint of the MK Maltese Knights Ultra. You see that? Yeah, buddy. Great catch. It's it's even got the crucial angle of the spear. You know, it's like a 45, maybe 50, 50. It's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> close enough. Nice weave. I think so. St. George. I guess is also Michael in some circles. Michael, St. George. Yeah, I actually found it by searching Michael. (laughs) But yeah, there's the George version too. Okay. Yeah, the uh, St. Michael uh, ley line, it runs through, uh, in Europe, it runs through all these uh, ancient castles right on the mark. And then the spear of that ley line uh, penetrates through Rome and it's piercing the serpent of Rome. Uh, So if anybody ever wants to look that one up, that's worth a damn. The St. Michael ley line. And then it goes directly to uh, Jerusalem is where the tip of the spear, potentially spear of destiny, according to certain mythologies. Here she is doing the whole 
Isis as protecting with the wings thing. She is reflecting. <laughs> He's shooting his essence at his uh, essence cane <laughs> at her and it's harming him. He's getting blown back in his face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I won't say what I'm thinking. Okay. Where's my. Yes. Say what you're thinking. Magic no, Bukaki. You said it. I didn't say it. <laughs> But there is definitely an aspect of this whole story now that I'm seeing her as an Isis character because she's depicted like this where it's a lot like Osiris, Horus, Isis, and Set. Mark is basically Osiris who then dies and is resurrected as Horus. And Layla being Isis, instead of finding the missing phallus, she finds the Ushabti, you know? But the moon, which that is for, is kind of a phallic, could be depicted as or construed as phallic itself because of its phases of softness and transparency and then like fullness <laughs> and solidity. And uh, the fight scene that ensues, like Gordy said, mostly a lot of action, not major things to analyze other than Horus slash Jesus Christ murder star. Right here with his moon throwing stars, murdering people. He kills a lot of people in this show. A lot of people get killed. And yeah, clearly that's a Christ like pose. Uh, then we do have finally, couldn't go a whole episode without a reflection shot. So he's smashing Harrow into glass, breaking glass, breaking a screen, actually. And then Harrow throws him through glass after that. And I don't have a screenshot for that, but there's finally some glass and reflection coming back into the mix. That was huge throughout the rest of the show. And uh, Egyptian superhero, super woke. <laughs> She's an Egyptian superhero now. That's cool. Then there's a scene where Harrow shoots his purple magic light at Mark and Mark does this Osiris arms cross thing back to the whole weave about Osiris horse Isis being and set being symbolic of this whole thing, this whole story. And he, Ooh, Kanchu gets stabbed in the chest by the giant lizard stabbed with his own staff. Yeah. He goes down. Mark gets the same treatment from Harrow. As above, so below. Yeah. Again, kind of in a crucified pose here. And, <clears throat> and then he blacks sign, out. Before we go too far, that sign that there he's on, the green and yellow, is it like Egyptian subway? I was thinking Jamba Juice. Jamba juice, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a there's a whole green and gold theme with Amit too. You know, she's all green and gold and oh, nice, yes, um, <clears throat> green and gold. Yep. You know, I'm not, I didn't. I don't remember going down um, a color rabbit hole with that, but I think green is usually like a, a faith, and gold is, of course, power. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see what those words say. I mean, they're probably it's probably product placement. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's probably, yeah, it probably is just Subway. It's probably just wokeism product placement for mm-hmm. those for those who know. Well, there was Ford product placement earlier. Ford Raptor. Yeah, yeah. I saw some Nissan at one point. Yeah. Then Mark blacks out entirely while he's getting killed here by Harrow. And when he wakes up, he's killed. All of Harrow's henchmen are dead around him. Everything's on fire. And he's holding the Waz staff scepter, Satian scepter, ready to execute Harrow. So this is definitely symbolic of the initiate going through the Duat and overcoming the uh, Setian nature. And that's why he now holds this scepter. Yes. Also, I just now realized we're seeing the Deus Ex Mechina is uh, is still in play where they 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 bring in uh, so in old Greek theater it would be some mechanistic deified miracle would descend from the rafters and uh, save a seemingly hopeless situation so that the after doing it for generations and generations, people start to believe that something from the heavens will come and save them, uh, no matter how hopeless things get. And it's reinforced by the theater forever. So, you know, it is the original Messiah is Deus Ex Mechina. And here they're still doing it, even with the budget that they have. They're not even going to show us the magical Kung Fu moves that he does to save the day. They're just going to give us a blackout experience. And we wake up and everything's solved, uh, which is really mm. profound to me. It's, it is emasculating in and of its own nature that they don't even show our hero being a badass. They just do a deus ex mechina blackout, and now he's the winner. That's really something. That just dawned on me. Like, I'm actually kind of pissed. <laughs> I feel gypped. <laughs> we don't even get to see the kung fu move you know, of the hero's journey. They just resort to a blackout. A blackout saves the day. A blackout saves the day. Yeah, we're going to need to turn the power off because it's too hot. You know, you guys are using too much power because of global warming. (laughs) Climate change blackout, deus ex mechina. Wow. What a fucking weed. There's that. And you're right that the blackout conceptually is emasculating because the yen is black and the yang is white yen is kind of like the unconscious or it wasn't thought of in the same way psychology puts the unconscious but you know yin is like the whole thing and yang is like what you're currently aware of and your stream of awareness so to have a blackout and a break in that stream is like the yang being interrupted or removed temporarily. <laughs> Funny how Yang and Wang rhymes. <laughs> so I, I his have a, Wang got cut and in, cut into there. His timeline was split. <laughs> I've got an interesting personal story uh, that when I was watching this for the show, it it came to me like brought me back to. Uh, in high school, I had this uh, really fun rivalry with the with the school bullies. 
Nice. Uh, yeah, the school bullies, they were total assholes. They would like, uh, because me and my buddies, we had teepeed, egged, and shit on their porch all on the same night. <laughs> and we did it to uh, three of, like, three of their, the, this gang of bullies. We went to all three of their houses and got them all on the same night. It was epic. So many eggs. So many eggs. And I think we tipped over their trash cans, and we we were ruthless that night. It was fun. And then they came after us to get revenge because one of our buddies bragged about it. They found out who was on the who was riding that night, and they tried to hunt us all down. They beat up a bunch of people trying to find us. And one night, uh, after uh, weeks of this rivalry, they found me and my buddy walking out of a gas station, and we had been like intentionally hanging out outside of our usual haunts. Like we were avoiding the usual terrain to try to not be found by these guys. And they caught us at this gas station, the uh, marathon gas station. We come walking out and my buddy who's with me is not a fighter. He is not a fighter. And so they surround us with eight dudes and they are closing in on us. And I got a mouthful of a uh, hostess Twinkie. <laughs> And I'm trying to talk my way out of this situation. My mouth goes totally dry and I I just run out of words. I'm trying to like, you know, just talk my way out of it. There's, it's a no go. And, uh, I take a, I try to isolate the tallest dude. Uh, he was six, seven in high school. He was huge. And I started like barreling in on him because he was the biggest one. I figured that, you know, tried to get my way out of the circle. And at the last second, while I'm looking at him, I tried to turn and cheap shot the guy to his to his left. And he ducks my punch and shoots my hips and takes me down. And I go down in a tumble. There's legs. There's fists. I'm getting pummeled. I roll over, try to, you know, uh, turtle shell. And I look up. And when I look up, I see my buddy who's just a skinny, non-fighting dude. He's getting the classic shirt over the head hockey. He's getting the hockey punch. And all I see is his head, the shape of his head, just taking hits, bouncing out of his own shirt over and over. And the next thing I know, I black out. I totally black out. And when I come through, I got this one dude's head in my hands, and I'm smashing his face on the car hood. And somebody is screaming, cops cops and everybody runs and the guy that I'm smashing he runs off and his hair is still in my hands <laughs> and I don't know what happened from me being on the ground and seeing my buddy but a bunch of people got hurt and my uh my other friend who was not in the fight was a girl her name's uh her name's Lara she tells me that I went psycho and I started kicking everybody's ass and I was laughing while I did it, <laughs> she said I was laughing and I'm smashing this guy's head on the door. So, yeah, you sound like you'd be a good avatar of Khonshu. <laughs> it was crazy. It was the craziest. It was the craziest tussle ever. Uh, but it creeps me out that I literally don't know what happened. And she's telling me I was laughing in the time that I didn't know what, I was, what was happening. So, yeah, when he says I blacked out, it brought it back to me. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, that's like berserkers, bloodlust, mm -hmm. temporary insanity, temporary possession, yeah. or a layer of yourself that just takes over that was always there 
waiting for a survival situation. Yep. Oh, I had his hair and his necklace. That was the other thing. His also his necklace had a little uh, psych, psychedelic mushroom, all tie dyed mushroom in my hand, and he got, and he ran off. <laughs> yeah, crazy story, crazy. So we call that the marathon, the marathon fight. I love that. That is was, great, man. You've got great stories. And then, <clears throat> so then the next day, I showed up at school, and everybody else is bruised, split lips. My buddy's got a little thing on his eye, and uh, I was. I mean, I had I actually had some hits on my ribs, but I came to school wearing a Superman shirt, sleepless <laughs> Superman shirt. <laughs> so uh, it is apparently a thing, by the way, that you black out during fights. It's not the same as blacking mm-hmm. out from drinking, but that well, it's rage blackout. It, yeah, there's a thing. It's a rage. disassociation. Yeah. So you had a rage blackout. <laughs> Pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've learned to tame that lion since. well you know if you saw your buddy getting hurt like that i could see why the rage spike would be so massive and quick yeah that's the last thing i remember is seeing him getting just took and it just flipped me out when your adrenaline goes spikes it's not it's not out of the ordinary for you to like to block gray out or whatever but you're still conscious you're still doing it that that's a, a normal bodily function really it's a survival mechanism. And yeah, you kind of have to have that in yeah. certain situations in life to survive. Yeah, the story, it was like the next day, it was 12 dudes. Day after mm-hmm. that, it was 15 dudes. <laughs> By the end of the week, the legend like grew. 20 of them. <laughs> right on. Yeah, man. Tell that, tell that story. It was 40 guys. You, dude, exactly. We don't have these, we don't have the, we've got these fake ass. Heroes now. We don't have the wild Bill Hickok who would lie to your face and tell you he's lying about the story that he just told. And yet you find out that he actually did wrestle a bear and and uh, find out that he really was kind of a badass, but he was also kind of a liar. So this is that uh, mercurial characters that we don't really know. We, we don't really have so much anymore, you know? I kind of miss these days. Chaos magic. So let's move forward. We're almost through this, Sorry. kind of. <laughs> no, it's okay. That was a good story. Yeah, man. Thank you, Gabe. It's uh, oh, yeah. relevant to what happens in the show, too. Okay. So they were told that to stop Amit, Osiris told them they needed to bind Amit to a mortal body. Basically. So they take Layla and Mark take Harrow to the pyramid secret chamber and start chanting, doing a spell around him. Amit turns into purple smoke and flies into Harrow's mouth. Opening of the mouth ritual. And they're chanting Ushabti. That's one of the words I heard that. I don't know what all they're saying in Egyptian. But it's interesting that they're binding him to Harrow or they're binding Amit to Harrow because the whole show he wears binders on his wrists. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's always kind of been bound to he was her anyway. Bonds. Yeah. He was fettered. He's a bondsman. Yeah. Nice. So uh, 
he's possessed by her fully now, or she's inside him. And the moon guy, <laughs> Kanshu, is like, all right, kill him. Let's kill him and destroy both of them together. And Mark, even though he's killed like a hundred people that we've seen on screen, I don't understand this. He decides not to kill Harrow. And that, so I guess that makes him a hero that the worst person he doesn't kill, but he kills a bunch of other people who were relatively not even close to his bad. <laughs> like, do you understand this? I don't get it. What do you, what do you make of that? Oh, I mean, man. I'm not for killing, but it just seems really yeah. illogical. Well, one thing that comes to mind and it is kind of a stretch, but maybe not. If, um, if anybody ever takes the time to research the Nuremberg trials, you know, they set up 22 guys. It's a very significant number. They set up 22 guys to take the fall for all those deaths of the Holocaust, however, whatever number that may actually be. They uh, pawned it all off on 22 dudes. And in the end of the at the end of the day, I, did, I like boiled down the math like five of them just end up serving time. A couple, one dude hangs himself in the in the uh, prison before the trial. Uh, some of them actually get off, and they only they end up killing. I forget the number. I have it to hear, but I'm not going to look it up. But it's it's not enough to uh, send a strong enough message to prevent uh, you know that kind of fuckery from happening again. So Nuremberg trials come to mind. You know that they. And the whole thing was a fucking was just a show, you know. It was a show trial. Uh, so you know, when people think that the Nuremberg trials made anything right again, they are not correct. Uh, clearly, because they're break dancing all over the Nuremberg Code, uh, mockingly so. Uh, but I did. I studied the Nuremberg Code, and they are fucking that thing in the ass for years now. <laughs> so that comes to mind. <laughs> who'd have thought that the last episode would be so dirty <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say Bukaki. you did <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so Kanchu releases Mark from Moon Knight responsibilities from his job his Job his trial by God by the way here's the thing about Job V and B switch. Job is Jove. Jove. Hey. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so he gets released from being the avatar and then he all of a sudden switches to being Steven in the mental hospital again with Harrow. And he's like, okay, so this is reality actually. And then Harrow gives us a little lesson about the platonic realm of ideal versus form he's like you know the imagination is real chair desk lamp all first created in the imagination so this leads us to the question of like what is real at all about this is everything a projection in his mind or psyche is this a spiritual journey not or you know are they saying that reality is this way that people who go crazy and start to see a different reality than everyone else. They're actually in a different reality than everyone else and not actually crazy or seeing more of reality. And, 
then he walks away and we see the bloody footprints. So he knows that this Harrow is not quote unquote real or that there's something not real about it. Yeah. He asks Harrow how long Mark slash Steven, you know, is supposed to work with him. How long we're going to have to work with you to not be crazy. And I thought this was interesting. Harrow says, how long is a piece of string in response? And I pondered that and I Googled that phrase. And apparently it is like a uh, rhetorical question that is common as a like riddle or colloquialism. And the answer is a piece of string is twice as long as half its length. Wow. So to me, that's talking about the cycle of like Cancer and Capricorn or Aries and Libra. You know, one rises, the other falls, and then the other one rises and the other one falls. And there's this string stream cycle of it all. Wow. Yeah, that sounds very platonic. I like that a lot. One one thought while we're on the tracks here. Uh, you know, Jake Lockley kind of peeks in. He's he's talking to himself. He's going between Jake and Steven, I think. And what I think this could also indicate... I thought he was is, going between Mark and Steven here. Oh, I th- well, I think Jake comes out at one point because he like leans in and gives him uh, a hard question. But But my point is, I think this is also indicating that Jake is tracking his target because in at the end of the credits, we'll find out there's a nice little reveal here, but I think Jake is tracking uh Harrow at this point. So the predator has become the prey and Jake is awakening to his, uh, his prime directive. Well, after they After they reject the uh, reality of being in the mental hospital, they wake up in their bed. And just to like complete that the string question, in my opinion, is referring to the cyclical nature of the sun journey. The uh, song that's playing when they wake up in bed is the exact song from when the show first begins. The very first scene that we see Mark slash Steven is them in bed with this song playing. So. You know, we've gone full circle. It's the uh, every time I wake up, lonely as a man without love. That's the name of the song. Yeah. Oh, and they say later's gators <laughs> to him after he's walking away in his leather gators with blood coming out. Nice. So, yes. you know, we're mirroring the opening of the show. Harrow's walking in glass gators. Glass is mirror like. They wake up in bed. And tell me if you want to bring up any of the things you've been sending me Gabriel just let me know when because uh, maybe yeah. after I get to go through the last screenshot of this scene there we go nice so now there's two goldfish if you remember there was only one goldfish the first episode the goldfish problem was about how the one goldfish became a different goldfish and now somehow there's two goldfish right and the one goldfish was incomplete because it was missing a fin so yeah. now not only is it complete it's it's uh, doubled uh Pisces. Yeah, yeah. Mark is, is a Pisces. He's a Pisces. So uh the the graphic that I shot you is uh this is me poaching off of one of those uh 
those Moon Knight breakdowns that, you know, is sponsored by Marvel, brought to you by Marvel. Uh, so I snapped this shot, and it's not as good as your picture, but you can actually see the artifacts of the fish tank are in encoding all of the episodes. You know, the first episode is the goldfish problem, which uh, is our initiation. Uh, and then all of the artifacts in the tank are the progression of the plot of all the other episodes from then on. Some in the suit, the friendly type, the tomb, uh, gods and monsters at the very end here. Oh, no, asylum, and then gods and monsters at the end. And all of those artifacts are the locations that they went on their adventure. And I thought I would just point out, gods and monsters is G-A-M. You know, that's gamma, uh, which is three in Greek, but it's also a game. It was all a game. Uh, and it also is twilight for like God sinned monsters, God sand monsters, the sand monsters of the desert, uh, are still considered gods, even though we're not in the fucking desert. <laughs> but yeah, thought I would just point those out. I had a thought and just escaped me. Somebody else go. Well, one, one point is uh, this graphic is in reverse. It's going from right to left, uh, which is just something to consider that the, you know, reading the signs and symbols go in both directions. It's always good to, you know, check those reverse words. Does See, okay, this also points out the... The weirdness that you get into with analyzing this stuff, because look at the care that they put into just this one shot in the something that most people, except for nerds like us, would notice anything like this. Like, and I would, I definitely wouldn't have noticed this had you not brought that up. But <clears throat> this is just showing you the the care of the detail that they're putting into every single shot of this. So it's, it's, this is all very carefully planned out. So this whole idea of whether they're pulling from the ether or they're reconstructing myth or all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's hard to tell, you know, we might be pulling just by the ritual of doing the just the, sh the fish tank. Maybe the fish tank is the ritual, but the everything else is the simulation. Like it's almost it's almost uh, hinting at that fractal linear thing that as above, so below. You know, in as within, so without. As it happens in the the fish tank, it happens to him. Right. Simulation simulacrum. Right. You know, as it was written, so shall it be kind of thing. Yeah, man. Very cool. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't notice that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's not for me. I totally. No, no, no. They, yeah. Oh, I poach from those people all the time for sure. <laughs> I, 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 I used to watch those. I don't. Like, yeah. I, it's all well, original. It's, 
it's garbage. It's such garbage that right. you know they're being fed. Like right. you watch the, and you, you can smell it on them. It's like the disingenuine yeah. nature of those things are just so, they just smell of sellout. You know? <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I get, I get, I get something out of knowing what they want us to think. And, and sometimes their word choice, you know, I can even read between the, the lines that they're fed. Yeah. Uh, so it does have some value there, but yeah, that was one I just thought I'd bring forward because it was uh, it was nifty enough. I saw comments in the chat about Jacob corresponding to Israel. Well, okay. Cause we have Jake Lockley who we're going to get to finally meet for real finally after the credits, but uh, Jacob is yak. As in, one of the names, for, one of the ways of saying Bacchus was Yakus. Yak is so Yak is the sun. Jack and Jill went up the hill. Jack is the sun. <laughs> uh, Yak, Jack, and then Ob might as well be Ab, Ab, which is father, like Ab, Abraham. So, father, son, father Bacchus, Jacob. That's where that name comes from. Not that everyone means that when they name someone Jacob, there's a lot of Jakes in the world. And then another fascinating thing to consider is that Israel was the name of Kronos to the Phoenicians. Wow. Yeah. And they meant the sun by that when they talked about Saturn Kronos, but they called it Israel. Really? That is that, that is, is interesting. That it was Kronos, huh? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Saturn, Kronos, Israel. That's where that Israel. came from. Yeah. So I know, I know I saw Deserta out there. I know he digs this. He and I have rapped on Jacob before. You know, it's I think that, that, that surplanter. name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a, not a he. Just throwing that out there. Could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Surplanter and Ob also is, has that Ophi. Uh, I, I think of it as basically castrator. <laughs> Jacob means, or uh, circumciser might be another way to think of it. But yeah, not a not a name that history is shining favorably on. <laughs> uh, continuing with our screenshot journey, when he gets out of bed, the whole caught by his ankle thing happens again. So we're repeating the beginning and there's a circle of sand around the bed. Was that always there? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I was there. So he could tell if he left. Yeah. And see if there's a footprint there, man, he's crazy. Yeah. And you know, but I a circle of sand reminds me of like a circle of salt, yeah. like a magical circle totally. of protection. Totally. Uh, uh, it also, you know, the face plant that he keeps doing, uh, it makes me think of the sads. You know, I think they're they're injecting that into the consciousness big time. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. OK, so then it switches after the credits. We see a cup full of sand. And this is the other side of the mirror because the show were like, it's sort of a perfect mirroring because the very opening shot of the show is Hera with a glass of water. And after that, we see Stephen waking up in bed and falling down. And now at the end, we see Stephen waking up and falling down. And then Harrow with a glass of sand. 
And yeah. glass, except it's a cup, it's not a glass. And glass, it, sand is kind of like miniature, super tiny particles of glass. Yep, I was thinking the same thing. It's a, uh, it's the alchemical uh, opposite. It's a, the source. Like the glass is the result, and the sand is the origin. And you know, another thing that I kept thinking about is how this looks very Visica Pisces esque, the way it's framed to to the camera here. Very interesting to me. And then it turns out to be coffee. You had a screenshot here to just collate all these things. Right. Now this, yeah, so these are the ingredients. The rubber duckies, there's a bunch of them in this facility. Yes. Are they telling us life is but a dream? Oh, nice. Yeah, I dig it. You know, uh, so yeah, like you were saying, all the ingredients from the opening come full circle to the closing here. The, the you know the alpha the omega is is on display all the way to the glass of water um but i want to point out the uh the templar cross the swedish flag that is the standard symbol of the hospital and the again the foreign trade zones and maybe another thing i didn't mention earlier when we were talking about it uh organ harvesting and the economy that is built up around the fact that people have been patting each other on the back for signing off your organs when you die. And there might be policies and procedures in place when you check into the emergency room where they're like, huh, do we get more money if we don't do this procedure? Is he worth more if we put him on a ventilator? I don't know if you guys, if I told you guys, I had a client a couple of weeks ago who was medically kidnapped. What the fuck? He went in, he's an older guy. He went in for, he came to me for a sound healing and this had happened like last year sometime, I believe. Went in for a kidney procedure, some kind of dialysis, but that was different that he needed for diabetes. And his son took him into the hospital and while he was having the thing done that they he was there to get done, his son left and was going to come back from later. And while his son was gone, <clears throat> they said, you've got COVID, but they didn't really tell him that. They just sedated him and moved him to the COVID ward and put him on a ventilator. Guys, he was, he was there for days. This shit and his is, son wasn't allowed to come see him. This shit is happening, y'all. Yeah, those people should be those people should be arrested at minimum. Oh, minimum. Totally. Yeah. I should go in there and black out for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, but like I'm actually pissed telling the story. Uh, yeah, man. Like, I feel the anger rising in my cheeks. <laughs> Likewise, brother. Medically like kidnapped, man. That's all how right. many people has it happened to that they don't even get out? So we don't even find out that that's how they got in. Yeah. Yeah, man. We've, we've heard it a lot, though. I mean, this is not yeah. anything new, but <clears throat> we know these these things are happening. Yeah. So, so one, last, was, one last one last one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So one last point on that, you know, organ harvesting. The When we say a serial killer, we were given that term after the son of Sam 
And uh, everybody started calling these people serial killers. And it's just really interesting. Serial relates to the goddess Ceres, who is the goddess of the harvest. Um, Ceres, yeah. Ceres, right. And so, yeah, it makes me think of organ harvesting being just a nice packaged way of saying these guys are serial killers. Dude, he kills the staff. Yeah, Jake Lockley kills the staff. He's definitely just a murderer. Not even cool. And he's got the glove on. When he puts his hand on homie's shoulder, you see that he's got the the glove of the touchless death. Assassin status. Big time. Oh, there's another duck. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's there's a few in here. I missed the duck. Okay, so the duck means initiation. When you get dunked into the baptismal tank, you're being ducked. You're you're being inducted into uh, a new life. Induction. Yeah, the duck is a big thing, that that symbol. But definitely think of it as yet another uh, initiation. A tavila is a Hebrew baptism when they duck your head. Okay, so another mirror shot. We don't get a clear shot of who was pushing the uh, harrow in the wheelchair, but I thought it was interesting that the guy that the hospital was called Sinkowitz. Sinkowitz, I think is how you'd say that. <laughs> I looked it up, and Sinkowitz is the one of the famous artists who worked on Moon Knight. Yeah. But I thought, you know, when I'm thinking about it, is that a little sink at people like us? Sink, oh, wits, sink, I wits, wits. Excellent. Like our, we're sinking our wits. <laughs> I don't know. That's maybe a stretch. Yeah, synchromysticism. I dig it. I think that guy's name is Bill Sinkowitz. And yeah. He did a lot of um, very cool stuff. He did uh, the... Um, serious night on serious earth or whatever it was, the Batman story that happened inside Arkham that really didn't have, it was almost like it didn't have a plot. It was like all over the place and felt because it, he was trying to get that whole insane thing. You know, this is what he, the, the comics can do better than, than what we see in here because you're, you know, you as the reader are the third author kind of idea, you know, because you're, you're making the movie in your head. Yeah, buddy. Um, but uh, yeah, that guy, I follow him on Instagram because he posts all the old shit he used to do with new mutants and stuff. Like when Warlock was really cool. Yeah. That's, that's the guy. And he, he does some cool stuff. So we got, so he goes in into the back of the limo with Kazu is sitting right next to him. Got a nice new suit too. I I don't know how they noticed that. How did they afford a limo? In the (laughs) comics, one of Moon Knight's alter egos is actually like a millionaire. Yeah. And there's also an astronaut. But it's Stephen Grant that's the millionaire in the comics, I believe. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a couple others. There's a, I think there's like a caveman, and there's an astronaut as well. Kind of that goes a little altered statesy. 
Uh, also, Kanchu is wearing white gloves, corresponding with Jake Lockley's black gloves. So you got the you know touchless death and the and the checkerboard floor, which um, it is the touchless death because Kanchu can't hurt Harrow, so he has Lockley, who's got the black gloves in correspondence, do the dirty work. They make a very cool ska band, you know, the whole two tone. You see a pigeon head guy, guy skanking down the street, man. Pretty cool. <laughs> Missed opportunity, Marvel. Yeah. He's yeah. a Spanish guy. Makes me think of like the Spanish arm of the Eastern Holy Roman Empire or the Western Holy Roman Empire. Not that like Spanish people are evil, but that <laughs> that was maybe the most evil shit ever in recorded history. The yeah. conquistadors. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, it's most ruthless. Yeah. And they're doing it in a religious for a religious reason, and I mean, serving a god here, that's kind of like similar. Yeah. Yeah, Jesuits were founded in Spain. Everybody thinks of the Vatican in Italy, but they were founded in Spain. Ignatius Loyola. Uh, uh, one interesting point uh, I heard in one of those breakdowns was that he has hieroglyphs on his collar. And I just thought that was an interesting detail. Like, I had to zoom in, and I could believe it. I could believe those are hieroglyphs. I don't think it looks like that. You don't see it? He's even got a little gold lighting on that trim. Just an interesting idea. It could be. Those are, I mean, some of those, there are fabrics out there that just have, you know, prints of hieroglyphs that are a little cheesy that they make. Um, like, you can get that shit on Wish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's goofy uh, kind of, I don't know if it's, I don't even know what the style is, but stuff with lots of gold and Egyptian hieroglyphs and, you know, that are a little, real blingy, blingy. Yeah. You know, that shit over there. uh, I got no receipts on this, but I have heard that some of the Egyptian bloodlines uh, ended up on the Spanish throne. And just uh, some interesting evidence of that is like, you know, Isabel is her name has. Uh, Kybel, Cybel in her name. And Isis and Bell. Or... Isis and Cybel, all uh, hyper-sigiled into one name. So yeah, yeah. The, whole, the whole castration cult goes definitely right to Egypt and Spain pretty, pretty solidly. This is the last shot of the show. We made yeah. it, man. Yes. And man, yeah, they man. definitely own this limo because it has a license plate Spectre. Yeah. So I don't know so, how that happened. Tell us about the city of London shot here. We've got like a mosque where we can see yeah. some crescent moons. We have whatever this crazy building is. I'm sure you know about. Yeah. And the moon is avail- uh, visible during the day here. The butt plug. It's the giant butt plug for the Titan, right? Isn't that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> so the name of that building is the Gherkin. The and- Gherkin. 
The gherkin. My gherkin. <laughs> totally. And that's its that's its nickname. It's gone through a few names, but now it's uh, publicly called the gherkin because uh, it's cost. Butt plug didn't take. The butt plug costs so much. It costs so <laughs> much. And uh, it's passed through uh, some very interesting hands. Like if anybody wants to look up the gherkin, you'll find out that these, you know, multi-billionaires own it and a lot of real estate in New York as well. They, this one uh, particularly uh, interesting fella. Uh, Jen found this with a brighter picture of the color. It does look more hieroglyphic now. Brighter. Oh, nice. Fine. Jen, you're so awesome. Jen is all Jen. on it, man. Thanks and praise. Sister. She's Thank the best. You. Heck yeah. Nice catch. So yeah, the gherkin is an interesting little rabbit hole to maybe uh, look into if anybody's interested. But on that final scene, you know, it's a big fucking phallus in the sky. The final scene, it's cut by the bridge. Uh, the tip of it is cut. And look, it's... Yeah, got- who's the bridge? Pontifus Maximus. That's yeah. the bridge. Yep. So it's got this, uh, it's interestingly circumcised up there. Um, and the guy who owns it, gosh, I got his name here, uh, Joseph Safra. And he's just an interesting character. He paid way too much for it. It's just interesting. He's a billionaire, you know, way, way up. Uh, but it's on 30, uh, 30 St. Mary Axe is its address. Whoa. I just, is, I just found all of that to be like kind of crazy, crazy. Is it numbers. supposed to be resemble a, a Fabergé egg? Yes, I think so. Also, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but this is the city of London as it is today. And I just find it very interesting that, you know, we were thinking about, you know, the origin of the birth certificate going back to the London fires of 1666 in the beginning. And here we are, full circle, looking at this. Uh, you know, the new remodeled uh, state-of-the-art skyline. And it's got that little hint of the true cultural origins of their connections to Middle Eastern buildings in the one corner, which could be revealing, you know, the House of Saud and its investments in the city of London, you know, and its roots with these uh, royal bloodlines. Uh, just interesting how much culture can be captured in a single shot. So yeah, I just thought I'd throw all that out for the uh, for the very end there. Oh, the IRA attacked the building at one point. It's a fun history. People should just go, you know, peruse through the gherkin in the history of that particular building they're showing us. It's interesting how if you look on the map, you have India, and then there's some ocean. And then you have Saudi Arabia, and then you have Ethiopia. Yeah. So all of that is very connected. Yes. Uh, biblically called the, the land of Ham, who was the outcast. Yeah, you Saudi know? Arabia and India are like so close together. And, you know, I was looking at Saudi Arabia on the map. There's like, they don't show any towns. You could almost easily believe that it's like or at least when you're looking at like a world map they are like maybe the capital maybe they show mecca (laughs) yeah they show like a couple towns you know there's way more than that Uh, if you zoom in there's more yeah it just seems like they uh kind of keep to themselves and you never hear about them on the news either they keep their hands pretty clean you know what i mean yeah the only country named after a family 
I'm trying to figure out what the abbreviation AXC for a street is. I've never seen that before. St. Mary Axe. Oh, you know. Oh, yeah. And you have an interesting one here, Stravenu. Stravenu? Yeah. It's wow. a it's not a it's it's a diagonal street in Tucson they have like, you know, it's a grid, but there's a lot of weird horse trail kind of things that are leftovers. And uh, they call them stravenues because they go diagonally. Like they don't go because the streets will go uh, east and west and the <clears throat> avenues go north and south or whatever. And it's not a street. It's not an avenue. It's a stravenue. So we have this bitchin' little little stretch called Rocket Stravenue out here that's by the racetrack. And it's just an excuse for people to to <clears throat> find a road in the desert that's not not so populated but uh anyway axe as a street yeah or not the body spray no well the avenue is it like a different abbreviation i don't know it just said on that wikipedia that the built gherkin building was on 30 mary axe yeah 30 mary dirty mary (laughs) 30 30 i don't know Bloody Mary uh, had an axe, gave her mom 40 wax. When she was done, she turned around and gave her daddy 41. (laughs) 41-story building. That is interesting. And Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Right on, fellas. Yeah, we we did did it. it. We did Moon Knight. We did that thing. Next, we get to talk about something new. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Our options are looking like either... I mean, this is just me saying I could, you guys could pose other options, but I'm thinking Doctor Strange 2, or we get a hold of David Whitehead and do Morbius of the Vampire. Morbius. Let's get, let's do Morbius. I'm all about getting David in, in on the team, man. Yeah, let's get so David cool. in here, but yeah, I don't know, man. I want we'll to do, we'll do both eventually. Yeah, thing. we can do Morbius first. <laughs> yeah, at least it's, uh, at least it's one movie. Like, we won't get have to do like a whole series of Morbius and yeah, like and probably since we're bringing Whitehead in, I think we would maybe not go through the whole plot like we do. Yeah, but it'd be great to get like other guys like uh, Howdy in to to talk, you know, just riff a little bit on this stuff. I think the problem with that is his time zone. Right, he's in like Scandinavia somewhere. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. Um, Saturday afternoon. I'm doing a, a international round table um, with General Lee on hmm. what's it called? Um, anyway, I'll, I'll start sticking links. Yeah. It'll be fun. Talk to some Brits. Sweet. Right, those, those freaky Brits like Sean Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, uh, I dig the idea of getting Whitehead in on. Uh, That'd be great, dude. On Morbius, I'm we'll have to make sure that we don't put his name in the YouTube title. <laughs> every every a, time I upload something with David Whitehead, I get a strike. He's a wanted man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> call him by a code name, Sensei Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, that's gonna be fun. I appreciate all the names that stayed with us from the beginning of this. Yeah. Not just this stream, but this series that have been with us the whole time. Or if you're catching this later because you can't catch it live, 
thanks for supporting this uh, funky side series that we're working on. We have a lot of fun with it. And uh, appreciate you too, Gordy and Gabriel, so much for bringing the fun and the mind-blowing connections. Good stuff. Yeah, man. It's nice to put the you MK for Moon Knight to rest. Put the nail in this coffin. Seriously. <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are some really highlights in this. I especially liked episode five. It, there's good stuff. I, I, you know, it's as cheesy as it is, you know, there's still lessons and, and even something Disney puts out accidentally. Right. Right. The logos isn't everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, it's also super apropos that we're thinking about Morbius next because I just did a thing on werewolves with one on one. Yeah. And yeah, you this, did. And this was basically mummies. And so vampires are just like right in line. <laughs> right in line. And uh, I do have a, a big weave on on all of that. That uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start building it out and I'll bring it to the table when we do Morbius. That'll be a lot of fun. There's a lot to do there. There's so much to bring forward. I dig that. I think it's going to be terrible. By the way. <laughs> oh, the movie. Yeah, um, yeah it it's got 15 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I went it was a, so far the biggest financial failure of 2022 in the movies. Well, that's great, though. I know yeah. that'll make it more fun. To- <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, and sometimes I think those flops are, you know, they're just laundering. Uh, oh, shelters. they are. Absolutely. You know, they're just percent. They, they, they say that a lot of those, uh, directors know that's part of the game is that's their job is essentially, you know, throwing stuff out there and laundering money. There was a whole, whole, uh, cinematic, um, industry in Tucson used to be of that kind of thing. Like, um, Tucson used to be, uh, a Hollywood hub because of old Tucson and all the Westerns got started here. Right. But because of all the the golf courses and and rehabs and stuff, like there's all this like little cottage industry of small time filmmaking that I am positive is just it's just thrown out there to to blow money to yep. launder the money, yeah. Because they get these big stars to do these shitty movies that nobody ever sees. <clears throat> But they paid uh, a bunch of extras a pretty good chunk for sitting around for eight hours. Anyway, sorry. This is almost like to do Morbius, almost not even uh, Marvelous Demystifiers because Marvel didn't make it. Sony oh, is this it. a Fox thing? Oh, it's Sony, Sony thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they had to sell off Spider-Man, but they kept a few Spider-Man characters like Venom and Morbius. Did you see the probably Venom? like Craven? They probably have like Craven the Hunter and some other Spider-Man characters. And no, I didn't watch Venom. It's not bad. I like. I I don't hate the first Venom. The Carnage one sucks. Of course. Oh, I believe that. Well, gents, I think I'm going to sign us off. Let's roll. It's about that time. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, much Appreciate love, everybody out guys. there. Much love. See you at the next one. <laughs>